You guys said we'd find some real snakes. 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 This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And you're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. It's episode 79 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. Now I'm Jacob Ross, J.O.B. Morelia. We are here tonight with the man who has the most comfortable shirts of all time. <laughs> That's Mr. Brent Schultz of Venom Life Gear. What's up, dude? What is up, everybody? How you guys doing, man? Oh, not too bad, man. That's good. I appreciate Same that about old. the shirts, man. I, I, I work hard to make sure the stuff we do is comfortable with nothing else. Dude, I mean, who cares if it looks good as long as it's comfortable? I got my shirt at Daytona, and uh, that thing is still stupid soft, and that was back in August. And Katie was wearing it last night, and even then we were talking about how soft it still is. Oh, and man, how I need awesome. to get more. Yeah, I need, to, uh, I need to snag me one of those. I don't have any of your shirts, but I have two of your hooks. Okay, so, so yeah, so, so between the two of you guys, you can you can vouch for pretty much everything. So that's yeah, cool. yeah, I got uh, I got two of your hooks at Daytona actually last last year. So do you guys do you guys trade? Do you like you know you get the hooks every other week and then he wears the shirts or how does that work? <laughs> oh no, no, the hooks are mine. We haven't, we haven't even done any herping, man. We haven't even been out. I mean, I've done a, like, yeah, a little man. bit, but nothing serious honestly nothing. i i the ones i got from you were more for my indoor use so and they they do really well good man well we can fix that i know a guy so we can get you guys some stuff and uh you know for having me on and and uh giving me the pleasure of of getting out and kind of telling my story and talking about what i do um i can get you guys a couple things oh man that'd be awesome yeah, man. Thank i you mean so i'm much. so bummed i really like i really wanted a hat at daytona but because literally 99 percent of hats i come across won't fit my head because it's gigantic they just look dumb mm-hmm. so i they do look dumb i have to get katie's in here saying they don't look dumb and they do. oh my like, gosh i measured my head and in hats i'm a size eight which is like unheard of. Wow. I mean, like, we could start making Venom like sombreros if that yeah, would help. That, that might work. <laughs> just wear one of those umbrella hats. Oh man, that would be awesome. I would love to see Justin in one of those. But it'd almost be worth it to make just one. Just oh uh, yeah, just it. for him, dude. Think I wouldn't wear that. <laughs> you got dude. You got to put Smitty across the forehead along with your your Venom Life logo. You got to have I'll little. I'll talk to my you got to have little oh, slots man. in the top where I can hold shot glasses. <laughs> oh. All right, but it's a sombrero, so it has to be tequila. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'm excited to do this, guys. This is yeah, this is fun, man. This is cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm stoked, man. I heard Justin told me you were coming on. I was like, hell yeah! I was like, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, I was, I was glad he told me. I was like, oh hey, yeah, I met him at uh, at Daytona. I got to talk to him for a little bit. Yeah, man. I I love doing shows. That's that's part of the this. This is really hard for us, man. Um, we were, we had the opportunity last week to do uh, our first live virtual um, on reptilestream.com. We did a virtual reptile expo. Nice. Um, it was kind of a trial one. It was the first one we did last time. Uh, I'm sorry, last week. But um, it's just not the same, man. I mean, obviously, the, the, the cost is better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's just not the same, man. We go to shows – Mainly the big ones, um, but man, we go to shows mainly to to network, to meet people, to 
you know, to, to see the fans and to, to talk to people. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the, in the, I can't even say herp at the culture industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, including the field guys and the at home guys that we only see at, you know, one show a year. They only do the fall Tinley or only do the spring, you know, Mona or whatever. So, you know, that's, that's sometimes that's the only time we get to see these people once a year. So, um, this is killing us to, to be stuck at home, man. To be fair, we're getting a lot of other good work done. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's just not the same. So, you know, we, you know, who knows if we would have even met, uh, had we not done the Daytona show. So we're going to continue to do expos no matter how, how big we get and how, how far this goes, man. So just so anybody listening knows, um, that's going to keep happening. Hell yeah, man. I feel like that's the case with a lot of shows, though. Like, that's, you know, Daytona or Tenley is, like, the one time of the, you know, one or two times of the year, depending on which show you go to, that, you know, everyone, it, it's become so much more about the social aspect rather than the oh, yeah. know, the, the buying and selling. Yeah, I mean, Daytona is the literally the only show, like, I make a point to go to every year. Like, I think I've gone three years in a row now, and it, it's my favorite show. I don't even bother to go any to any around here, you know, but Daytona is mostly just to see everybody, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's just the, you know, the only, the only tough part about doing so many shows a year, why we brought it down to like six instead of 18 or 20, like we used to do. Um, We brought it down to like six shows a year. We just do all the big ones and kind of pick and choose now. Um, Mm -hmm. But part of that's just because I'd spend the other half of the year detoxing if, uh, if all I did was (laughs) 20 shows a year. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody who's ever done reptile expos knows exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Oh (laughs) yeah. Especially if Billy Hunt's there. Oh god, oh, man, he'll ruin you. He'll yeah, him or a special shout out to my boy Ryan McVeigh. Um, those, you know, those, over, <laughs> over at Zilla, man, this, we used to get crazy. He's better oh, now, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's better now. But <laughs> I was talking to him today. Actually, I'm getting a, uh, I'm getting a, a forest fanning memorial piece together for the next issue of the magazine, and uh, I talked to him oh, about shoot. contributing to it because I guess him and him and Forrest were pretty good buds. <clears throat> Yeah, man. And you know, what, what he did with that, um, kind of heading up and running that, um, fundraiser for his yeah, family, yeah. Years, man. And, and we were so proud to be a part of that and to be able to help out. And, you know, we donated quite a few uh, shirts and hats and hooks and whatever, mm-hmm. just to do what we could. Cause we've known Forrest for years, man. And it was, it was terrible. Um, Ryan actually texted me that day and told me before I even got on Facebook that day. Um, so that was super tough, man, for everybody in the industry. Um, we lost a huge part of the industry with Forrest and, and, uh, you know, obviously he'll never be forgotten and, um, lots of love to him and his family and huge shout out to, to Ryan, um, you know, for, for doing that, man. I, I, I I don't even know how I couldn't have done anything like that, man. I was just happy to give products, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't have put something like that together. So, um, yeah, that that short notice and like that quickly, it was very well orchestrated given the time, you know, the timeframe that it happened. Yeah, him and Erica. We can't forget her. Him and Erica, man. That that that, that dynamic duo right there, dude. That, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been possible without them. So, um, huge shout out to those guys. Um, I love them both with all my heart. So, that is one of the things about the reptile community, man. That that just never ceases to surprise me is how many you know how many people will come together for something like that. Everyone will yeah lay their it, swords it, down crazy, for at least a, a moment. And uh, uh, yeah, hundred percent, dude. Uh, I mean, we 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 did the same thing with. Uh, um, you know, when we, when tell Hicks, um, you know, the, the artist who, who's done yeah, tons yeah. of stuff when, uh, when he had broken his neck at the NARBC shows, 
um, because he's super close with Bob and Sherry actually of the Cherry Cower Desert Museum, who who run on NARBC with, um, you know, Brian Potter, mm-hmm. and they, they did a they did a off the cuff auction that week, and we raised like sixty eight thousand dollars in two hours just for Pell. Jesus. Yeah, because so he's, he's over in the UK, right? 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 He's a uh, no. But no, he's 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 in Arizona. He's he lives in Portal, Arizona. Oh, okay. For some reason, he's from there though, isn't he? What's that? You guys got background music now? What is that? What's no, that's yeah, like I, damn Dan. Jets. Um, oh, those are the Jets. Big Daddy, the goddamn Jets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the, you know that's one of the things that I think a lot of people negate about the reptile industry in general. Whether you're a hobbyist or a ball python guy, which, um, you know, those guys get a bad rap, um, just because. You know, there's a lot of them, and ball pythons are kind of, you know, the 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 cream of the crop. Is, you know how they're looked at, even if they're super special. A couple of guys have done really well, but Jesus, I have my mic turned down so you can't hear that. I don't oh, know why they're flying no. at nine o'clock at night. But the, it's the first super one was, loud. The first one was jets, and the last one was Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm screaming at us for the the murder hornets. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, we you know we've seen in the, in the reptile industry, you know, the the ball python guys tend to get um, kind of a bad rap, you know, and 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 just that's just an example, right? But um, there's just so much love and support in this community, um, whether you're a field guy or a or a, a breeder or just a keeper. Um, man, the support that we've gotten so. A lot of people don't know this. They don't realize it anyways. But, you know, Get Hooked, we started six years ago. We did our first show in 2015. We started in 2014. Um, and that took us a while to get off the ground. We were just nobodies at the time, kind of. In the yeah, industry, I you know? always assumed that that was like a separate thing. And then you guys had like teamed up. Yeah. So so Chris and I started Get Hooked together in 2014. Oh, okay. We did our first shows in 2015 together. And then we kind of played around with the venom life. You know, there was salt life and, right, and swamp right. life and herp life and all these other life things that were like, nobody's doing anything for the venomous guys, man. Um, there's quite a few venomous guys out there. And, you know, it's bad enough that when you go to a reptile show um, or an expo that, you know, good luck finding a shirt that isn't black with the white logo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on top of that, you know, on top of that, it's a, it's a guild and uh, going to be three sizes too short and one size too wide by the time you wash it. Yep. Um, and so, and that was the old guildings, by the way. The new ones are amazing. But, um, you know, it, it was just one of those things where, like, we wanted to be able to do something different. We wanted, we wanted stuff that you could do for everyday wear, right, that you could wear every day, not yeah. just to other conferences. And, and it was really just something that wasn't out there. So we kind of just jumped into that niche and made an a, everyday kind of apparel, like just stuff that you could wear to the grocery store um, and support for the, the Venom guys and, um, you know, the love for venomous animals and, and, and to start the conversation about how Venom actually saves lives just like it, you know, takes lives. You know, <laughs> it's like all the anti-venoms are made from Venom. Tons of medicines are made from Venom, including... Mm-hmm heart disease medication and mm-hmm. uh, contortrostat, which is a breast cancer medication is made from copperhead venom. Yep. Um, even venomous lizards, you know, the Mexican bee lizards, they, uh, they are used for bayetta, exanatide, which is a diabetes two medication. Um, all the ACE inhibitors are made from venom. So we just really wanted to start the conversation about, you know, the positivity of venom um, in, in our everyday lives anti-venom and the relationship there as well as everyday apparel so it kind of started as a joke with get hooked and we made some cups and 
that's kind of how Venom Life was born, man. And and that was just it was a year in February. February twenty fifth was one year since we launched Venom Life. Wow. Um, and now it's everywhere, yeah. dude. It's, it's say, three it feels times like it's been so much out. longer than that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. It's Jeez. in February. We did one show on our one year anniversary at Arlington. We started in Arlington last year in the spring in February. Um, this year we did Arlington in the spring, and that was the last show we did before. That's not. Yeah, that was the last show we did before the uh, the shutdown. So we did exactly one year worth of shows with Venom Life before this Corona thing happened. So um, it's just been, again, and this is all to tie back to, um, you know, not just for the promotional value and just so to kind of tell the story, but also just to tie it back into this industry, man, um, and the support. You know, the herpetoculture industry is, God, I can't think of any other industry that I could just like make a t-shirt and have it blow up like it did. Yeah. Um, and, and that was all just from support, man. When the guys that are running the shows, the people that put the shows on, the promoters, the the guys that own the the shows or the venue guys, when they walk around the show wearing your shirts that whole weekend, like that, there's nothing more humbling than that. Um, and we caught some of that know, at Carpet Fest. You know, yeah, we, like, it we was had so, like it was 10 so people weird, show man. wearing yeah. THP shirts at Carpet Fest, and no and one I like was planned like, any oh, of it. I was shocked, man. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh my god, like. <laughs> They're wearing our shirts. <laughs> yeah, dude, and that's such a great feeling. Yeah, and, dude, uh, it's the best. I love it, man. So you know, we're we're in a really special place right now with that, and uh, you know, we kind of we kind of have the market on the the reptile apparel. Uh, you know, we're kind of growing into that niche where, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, you can go anywhere and get any other T-shirts, but um, it's pretty much a black shirt with a, a logo, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're that's not what people be want as soft and expect. And, yeah, man, that's that took a. No, I don't want to make any kids in Thailand jokes, but yeah, you know, it took a lot of uh, a lot of. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, no, I, I I just wanted to make sure that if you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that if I do anything, I want to do it right. I mean, you guys, mm-hmm, I got sure. I got a I got a podcast mic um, to do podcasts from my house, and I don't even have a podcast channel. It's just for when I I jump on your guys's. Yeah. So <laughs> when I do stuff, I want to do it right. Um, sure. And that was kind of the whole thing with the not just the hooks, but also the apparel, man. So. I'm glad that you guys like them and want to wear them because what's the point in making something that you want people to wear if it's not comfortable to wear, right? right? If they don't want to wear it every day, and then why would you ask them to? That's silly. Well, that's my gripe with like band shirts. Like they're they the way they use they the way they print them like within a year that printing like the the actual text and image and stuff gets all cracked and looks all weird and mm, it quickly right, gets quickly gets denoted to like a, a yard work shirt. See, but they're using that. They're using that Samsung Apple mindset, man. They're using that Samsung Apple mindset where they're like, "Oh, you, you get a two-year contract. Well, then we're just going to make your phone stop working after two years." Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the, I mean, band shirts are expensive too. You know. <laughs> so are <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> I love Deftones. I love Gojira. Oh, but dude, they want like thirty-five dollars for a shirt, and I'm like, y'all. It's painful. Yeah. Yeah, but that's is. the thing, though. They they want you to buy one at the next show and buy one at the next show and buy one at the next show. And we need to keep in mind, too, that, you know, those guys, they're not getting paid like they used to, man. You know, back in the day when you had like Arista Records and stuff like that, you had umbrella bands like ACDC. They made so much money they could bring on 15 other bands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude, 100%. And now they're like, everything's free. Spotify this, Pandora that, SoundCloud that. And like, dude, nobody's buying albums anymore. That whole industry is flipped. Yeah, dude, they got shafted. A lot of the bands got shafted. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't tell this part of my story much, so this will be a, a THP exclusive, man. Um, but I, I actually, uh, I dropped out of high school 
when I was 16 years old because girls and music and cars was way cooler. <laughs> so I dropped out of high school, middle of my junior year, man. And uh, I started a band and played in six other bands after that. I actually was a professional musician for 14 years. Damn. Um, what do you play? Yeah, dude. I, uh, I, at the time, I was in mostly rock bands, hard rock, uh, metal. Um, I played guitar and backup vocals, and then I played some bass, some drums in a couple different bands, but mostly guitars and vocals. And uh, yeah, dude, in like 2009, we played Project Revolution tour with Linkin Park, Atreyu, Chris Cornell, and oh um, shit, yeah, nice. dude. In, in my in my alternative hip hop band, we played with Vanilla Ice. Um, I've been on stage what? with one more in front of 10,000 people. I've I've I got paid seven hundred dollars to to sit and drink vodka with Pitbull one night and judge a swimsuit competition. Like that was my job, dude. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and and I, I woke up on my thirtieth birthday and I was like, yeah, this isn't a very good long term financial plan. So I quit everything, <laughs> moved to Kansas, went to school for four years to become a biologist, which it turns out is a much worse long term financial plan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I got my degree in zoology, man, and that's when this whole thing kind of kind of spiraled back to my childhood dream um, of, since I was six years old of, you know, being a herpetologist, traveling, um, doing adventures, messing with snakes and venomous animals, um, and, and making a difference and helping people. And, and now I literally, they told me my entire career, uh, I'm sorry, my entire college career of four years, I was told by everyone that I wasn't, you know, you're not going to get paid to travel the world do venom stuff and and like help people <laughs> like that's not a job first of all second of all you're not a you're not an md you're not a researcher you're not mm -hmm. a doctor you're not even a phd like you're not even a master's student dude you're a 34 year old undergrad like nobody's gonna pay you to do that um i graduated in 2016 and in 2017 i had four businesses in two states um and i was doing all of those things in oh, yeah, man. 2017 awesome. man and, and uh and so, you know, that's the whole tell me I can't kind of attitude, yeah. right? But at the same time, um, that was kind of motivating for me. But yeah, so that's, that's, there you go. I don't, I don't ever talk about being in music and I always wanted to keep that separate, right? Cause I didn't want it to be like, yeah. people wanted to talk to me for that reason, right? right? But I've realized over the last couple months and doing a lot by my, by myself here, by myself. And I've been really reevaluating. I was talking with Justin a little bit yesterday about this, um, you know, the personal brand and, and you know, what am I doing with mm -hmm. that? And I'm known throughout the industry as, you know, the venomous guy. I work with Venom Labs and I travel around and collect venomous animals uh, from the wild for Venom Labs and the Snakebite Foundation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm part of that group of, I, they say 15 world experts, but I say 14 world experts in me. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm part of that group and, you know, just on the front lines with, with, uh, you know, helping provide venom for new drugs and things like that. Um, I was like, what, what am I doing with this? Right. And I was talking with Justin a little bit about it yesterday. I said, you know, if I'm going to tell my story, man, and be me, be Brent Schultz, Brent, the venomous Schultz, you know, whoever, um, for these people, I, I need to be me. Right. So I decided that I was going to talk a little bit more about, uh, my, my personal stuff and tell people like, yeah, I'm a high school dropout, man. I was a musician for 14 years. And, um, you know, if it hurts me, then, you know who, who cares like it, it, i don't i don't want to talk to those people anyway right you're not there for gonna, them yeah, yeah. somebody's gonna act a certain type of way it's like well i didn't need you in my life anyway so goodbye you yeah know, man it, so, it's one of those things man you own who you are and you are who you are you know it's it is what it is somebody don't like more, it more, get out of the way more kids need to hear that kind of stuff though because you have some that they're just you know school just isn't their thing i dropped out of college after three semesters and i was 
absolutely sure that I was going to be like struggling the rest of my life financially. I was going to have like 20 kids. I couldn't pay for any of them. Like <laughs> stuck out in the sticks in like a really crappy double wide that's like falling apart and has a termite problem. And but then yeah, I, but that's but I realized after a couple years, I think that's not the case. Like you don't have to have you know, no, you can, man, you can survive without the degrees and without these things. It's just a matter of yeah, how dude, much I mean, hard work are you willing to put in to make it happen. Absolutely, man. It's all, it's all about the grind, man. And and I tell people, I so um, first let me touch on that. That's because society teaches us that that's what we have to do, right? Yes. And I have a huge problem with that, man. Uh, our, our our universities is probably one of the most broken systems we have in this country. And I don't want to go on a huge tangent, but I'll say this super quickly with four bullet points. Our university system in, in uh, you know, upper education system is it basically what they do is they loan trillions of dollars that was never printed mm-hmm. to millions of kids who have no idea what they want to be when they grow up. Yep. They train them for jobs that don't exist and then expect them to pay it back with interest. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get worse than that, man. So I, one of the things that I actually really like to do in my quote unquote spare time, whatever that means, um, <laughs> You know, I, I go out to becoming an outdoors woman. I teach that course twice a year in, in Kansas with uh, my buddy Curtis from the university. Um, and, and that's all on my own dime. I drive out there. I teach a two-day course, becoming an outdoors woman. I teach a course on snakes um, to a bunch of girls who want to be better at outdoor stuff. Um, I talk to kids. I did just two weeks ago when I was in Florida, I did a, a virtual one-hour Zoom meeting with 18 kids, middle school and high school, from around the country who were attending a biology camp and it got shut down. So we did a virtual meeting um, with me coming in as one of the biology guys to really inspire these kids to do what they love. And when people say, what do you do for a living? The list is way too long. I can't explain it. So I just like to tell people that, like, I like to inspire people to do whatever inspires them. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just I just want to be out there. And, and when I walk into the room, I want people to to feel better. When I walk leave, leave the room, I want them to feel like the, their limit list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I strive for that, man, in everything that I do. So when I go talk to these kids, whether it's in person or virtually now, um, I, I talk to them all about that. And I tell them all my story about how you should see the teacher's faces, man, when I walk into a group of like seventh graders. And I'm like, yeah, so my name's Brent. Uh, I've, I've been interested in snakes since I was seven. Um, I dropped out of high school. Did the teachers, I was like, I'm a high school dropout. The teacher's face just melts, man. Mortified. They're like, oh my God. Yeah, but. Then I get to the end of everything, man, and I'm like, now, now consider this. I started college. I dropped out at 17. I started college at 30, and look at what I've been able to accomplish. Think about what I'd be able to do had I not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And more two, of the story. <laughs> yeah, dude. But I also, I also tell them to consider this too, right? And this is for everyone out there listening. Um, you know, for me. One of the things I like to point out is who knows if I would have been farther in my my career or or actually way behind had yeah. I not been a musician. I think about that dude, a lot too. Yeah, the, like, the, the stuff that I picked up. But yeah. yeah, but dude, like, you know, a lot of the skills I have. First of all, as a scientist who's able to speak to people freely, clearly, and and uh, <laughs> like that's first of all, like, that doesn't happen every day, mm-hmm. right? Um, so as a scientist, I'm, I'm in a unique place there already at conferences, but really in just being able to network, to being able to market, being able to, um, you know, know the equipment that I need to do stuff like this, to be able to mix down my own YouTube videos, which by the way, 
Um, our first one should go up tonight after this podcast um, on the Venom Life channel. We're launching that, but we'll get to that here soon. That's just a little signpost. Um, you know, but all these things that I, I actually have a unique talent for, and I consider myself unique in this industry for a lot of ways, um, I probably wouldn't have any of those things had I gone straight to college. So there's something to be said for that, man. And I, I just live life with no regrets. Um, kind of that everything happens for a reason type thing. I am who I am because of everything that I've done. And I would do every stupid thing I've done in my life over again, just to make sure I was right back where I am today. And that's how I live every single day. Yeah. I mean, just because it could have been different doesn't mean it would have been better. Yeah. And like, that's why I always try to, you know, tell, I mean, tell anybody, you know, it's like, Oh, if only I could go back and do this. It's like, no, if you could, if you could go back and do that, you have no idea what would be, what would be happening right now. It could be 10 times worse. Well then the follow up like, my, you my have follow no up idea, to that is, you know, you know, well you didn't and here you are. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, here we are, here we are, we're doing this now and we need to deal with it, whether, you know, it'd be good or bad. But that, it's always yeah, 2020. Man. I did. I don't. I don't worry about the past at all, and I. I surely like. I don't even worry about the future at all, man. Like people talk about depression and anxiety, and I'm like, dude, depression is nothing more than obsessing about the past, and anxiety is nothing more than obsessing over the future. Oh, like <laughs> either of which you can control. Like think I've, about that. I've never right had someone now, put it that way, but yes, dude, it's crazy. I completely man. agree. As someone who has dealt yeah, with both dude. previously and currently, and absolutely. I'm just to be super clear, man. I'm not trying to discount or down talk either one. I just choose because you know and I, I understand that for a lot of people there isn't a choice right but i believe that there's a big mindset and perspective behind that and with enough training mm -hmm. and and perspective and you know goodness in your life um appreciation for everything being grateful for everything yes. having that in everything that you do living with your passion dude doing what you love um i think that you can find that with enough practice and and focus um, I, I think that anybody can have that. And, and I like to try to bring that to the conversations too. Like, again, I'm not trying to make this super deep, man, but you guys wanted to get to know me and this is me, man. Like, this is, I'm more than just t-shirts and hooks, bro. Yeah, man. No, you're good. <laughs> and it's funny you say that too. Cause I, when I was playing music, I had a bass player who was considerably older than me and the other guy I was in a band with by about 10 years. And one of the most profound things anyone's probably ever said to me and it all, I think about it all the time. He says, it's impossible to be depressed if you're grateful. 100%. And I it is, absolutely it is, I think about it all the time, and it's like anytime I start feeling kind of weird, I think about it, and I'm like, you know what? I woke up this morning. I have a job. It's not a bad job. You know, like all things considered, I really can't complain. Yeah, dude. Like, you know, people want more, right? They want more of this, more of that, bigger bigger houses, faster cars, better relationships. We're, I mean, we're, we're Americans in particular, but humans by nature, we always want bigger, better, stronger, faster, man. We wouldn't have humanity wouldn't be where we are on a worldwide level if we if we didn't want all those things right like we wouldn't have electricity and cars if we weren't always looking for bigger better stronger faster and so it, it's in our nature to be that way and i think that it's okay but at the same time when you get that bigger i know so many think about how many people are depressed man like you know robin williams and all these you know chester from lincoln park all these guys that have yeah. what seems to be the world yeah um and then and then end it and like we know that there's tons of people out there who even without suicide, tons of famous people and celebrities that struggle with alcoholism and struggle mm -hmm. with drug addiction and things like that and, and the depression and anxiety. And, um, you know, more isn't always more. And, and I try to tell people not really from an essentialism, right? Cause I got, I got a nice Venom life truck and I want a, a nice new car and you know, I'm not going to lie. I want those things, but what's easier than, cause if you get a, a new car, you're just going to want an even newer one after that. You get mm -hmm. a bigger house. You're just going to want an even bigger, one. like enough is never enough. 
Yeah. And so redefining what is enough is a lot easier than getting to where you want to be. Yeah. Right. Right. So like, and that's where the being grateful for what you have, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I got, a, I got a four bedroom house and, a, and an awesome family here in Denver, Colorado. And, and, uh, you know, for, for a while there, I was living in my car, dude. I lived in a, for six months, I lived in an 88 Cavalier with no back window in, in Colorado in the winter, dude, for six months. Um, my sister had a Cavalier once. That is not a big car. <laughs> no, dude, no, no. And, and the 88, space, dude, dude. Uh, it was like the boxy one, but you know, and, and it, it's not a sob story, right? And I'm not, certainly not a success story, but I like to define successes on, on, uh, you know, we define our own success, right? Like I'm happy. I'm making it. I got great people in my life. I have amazing opportunities like this. Um, I get to be the voice for a lot of people in our industry when I'm going and representing the entire breeder personnel at places like zoo conferences or mm-hmm. scientific research conferences. I get to be that voice um, and represent an entire you know nation of, of people who don't go to those things and speak for themselves. And alternatively, I get to bring those things into the, the world of, um, you know, reptile keeping and breeding and things like that. So I, I have a really unique opportunity to, um, you know, to, to cross worlds and, uh, and I love it. And I utilize that to the best of my ability to basically try to do what I can. Right. And with the snake bite foundation, which I want to talk a little bit more about again, signpost. Um, but just that opportunity alone, man, like I, I made my goal when I went to college, I made my goal before I die. I want to leave the world one tenth of 1% better than I found it. And every business opportunity I go into with anybody, um, even if there's no money changing hands, I, I always make sure that there's at least three winners, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be at least three identifiable winners or I'm not interested. It can't be me selling a shirt and you buying it. Like that's not good enough for me. Cause like, what is the other 327, uh, you know, million people in the U S gain from that? What is the other 7.14 billion people in the world gain from? So there has to be a third identifiable winner somewhere. Um, and that's why, you know, everything that I do tries to tie back to some sort of nonprofit, some sort of giving back, some sort of education, or I use part of the funds to, to fund my trips to go to these schools and talk to kids, things like that. Um, because, you know, our, our legacy, uh, uh, you know, Hamilton, the uh, Alexander Hamilton, you know, the musical. Mm-hmm. I think Hamilton says it best when he says legacies is nothing more than planting seeds you never get to see in a garden that you never get to see grow. Oh, I like that. Right. And, and, yeah. and as soon as I, as soon as I heard that in Hamilton, man, I was like, Oh my God, I got to write that down. Like I might get that tattooed. Yeah. I said legacies is planting seeds in a garden. You never get to see grow. And that for me was, was, I got, I just got chill saying it again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I try to bring that to everything that I do. Right. Um, and I don't, shame anybody else for not thinking that way or i don't you know make anybody feel bad if they don't do the same thing or oh you're not tied to a nonprofit. i'm out that's fine um you know i just for me i only focus on the things that i can control and that's one thing that i can control right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of that's kind of where where i sit in the in the business and the mindset and um you know and and kind of my views on just life in general and why i i am the way i am so you know, for all those of you who have met me or haven't, um, if you see me at a show or you see me on Facebook or whatever, that's why I say the things I say and, and uh, do the things I do. So a little bit, a little bit of getting to the inside of 
who I am. <laughs> what's, what's your tips for being a less cynical individual? Oh, less cynical. Man, I don't know. Cynicism, I think that kind of ties back to, to uh, appreciation and perspective as well. Um, I think that I think that, you know, if you try to find the good in everything, right, which I, I don't want to get too like enlightenment, uh, you know, Buddhist, whatever right now, super spiritual or whatever. But I think that, you know, if you try to focus on those things and, and find that in everything, it, I think it's impossible to be cynical, right? Because um, if in my, in my mind, if you're always finding the good, always, even if you have to say it out loud to find it, yourself right which i've had to do before mm -hmm. but if you're always finding the good you're always being grateful about something i mean you can find something good in everything that happens and if you try to focus your life that way you try to live your life that way you actively try i mean meditation is called a practice for a reason because you have to practice every day and this is no different right this is a practice yeah but if you practice this every day i think that it's impossible to be cynical man i think i think that you know if you if, if it's something that you really feel that strongly about in a negative way just don't be involved, right? Like you, you, if you hate politics that much, turn off the news. Don't vote. Like, <laughs> bro, don't make it so hard. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know why it has to be this hard. You know, if, if you, if you are really that cynical about, um, you know, shows and expos and whatever, or other breeders or the way people are doing morphs and whatever, like get a new hobby. Like there's no need to be cynical, man. Like obviously to live with that much cynicism and oh man, that's a hard word to live with that much cynicism in anything. Um, I think you're obviously not living with purpose and passion. Um, you're not truly doing what you love, man. Cause if you, if you wake up every day excited to do with whatever you're about to do and you do everything you do with, with passion and you do what you love every single day, I, I, I think cynicism is, you know, impossible. Well said. Mic drop. Yeah. I, well, I was curious. I, I don't know. I find myself going through periods with the hobby, and mostly it's just due to social media and Facebook, where I'm just like, yeah. man, I'm going to disappear on an island like Sco Luke Skywalker. You know, oh, do I it. don't feel I like have Venom Life and Get Hooked. Venom Life and Get Hooked and all that stuff on social media. Bro, I, I had 3,200 followers on my personal page when I quit doing Facebook in September. Mm -hmm. I came back in February to 5,000 friends and, and another 1,500 friend requests. Jeez. Bro, and I didn't Jeez. post for six months, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, dude, take a break. You know what I mean? It's, let, it's let, hard let, when you manage so many different, like the podcast pages, the magazine oh, page, sure. all that's like, I, I, I don't know. I know there's the pages app, and I've taken Facebook off my phone, but... Well, I was just curious because I just go through phases. Yeah, I mean, I love I love doing this. I love doing the magazine. It's just the Facebook groups and seeing people just constantly running their mouths. It's like, oh, my God, make it stop. You know, it's the social aspect of it, not necessarily the actual doing it that I don't enjoy. For sure. Well, first of all, I mean, the reason most of us are snake guys or, or you know, herp guys or reptile guys or whatever, um, you know, the reason we're all doing that anyway is because we all know that in general people are stupid. <laughs> that's why we work with animals because yep. they don't talk back <laughs> you know what i mean they, they don't put on a forefront you know yeah dude they, 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 they just... stab you they stab you in the front come on 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like if they don't like you, you'll know it. Like there's, yeah, there's exactly. no, there's no, there's no bullshit around that. There's no messing around. Um, they don't talk back. They don't, they don't like you know mess up relationships with, uh, well, at least not verbally, right? They don't like jump <laughs> in the middle of situations and tell tell lies behind your back. Like it's just easier, man. People are like, oh, you're crazy. You work with venomous snakes. Like you're nuts. And I'm like, bro, you you like deal with people every day. Yeah, you're yeah. way more nuts than I am, man. Yeah. I'm gonna control. <laughs> I'm gonna control the situation, man. I can stay four feet away from any venomous snake in the United States, and it couldn't hurt me if it wanted to. So you can't do that with people. Mm, no. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they make their intentions known. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, like I, I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm in a ways. I'm in a controlled situation, and I, I completely control everything. Right? You can't do that with people. So. I, I would argue the people who deal with people every day are way crazier than I am for working with venomous animals. <laughs> I like that. So, have you uh, have you kept venomous as like in like the private sector before you started all this? Um, a little bit. So it, Colorado's a weird place, and the fact that uh, it's pretty stupid. Yeah, you guys do have some, <laughs> you have some goofy the laws. Fact that it's- <laughs> um, well, I want to start by no naming names, but I want to start by saying that our state herpetologist is a bat biologist. Um, oh. So that's an awesome start to the conversation. <laughs> I've actually, when I was doing the venomous snake training videos for the Department of Defense and the U.S. military, um, I did the venomous snake training videos for the DOD. Mm-hmm. And when I was recording those videos, I, I wanted to do a bunch in, in Colorado recording myself and um, you know work with some of the venomous animals. I was already working with some venom labs and, and M toxins and things like that. So, you know, and I wanted to be able to keep venomous at my house. Um, and so even just doing trainings, right? Like not even keeping them at my house, but just being able to do trainings. I've, I've done trainings for um, parks and wildlife in Kansas. I've done, you know, the entirety of the Arizona game and fish uses our snake hooks in their trucks, the entire state. New Mexico oh, is doing awesome. the same thing. Texas is doing the same thing. Wow. Um, so like in every one of their trucks, they got good hooks, snake hooks. Um, so, you know, and we do training for those guys. They do training for pest control guys, uh, us fish and wildlife. I mean, the list goes on, right? I train people how to work with venomous animals safely. Um, and that mostly native stuff. Yeah. 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 Mostly native stuff. So, um, you know, one of the things that I was talking to her about was I wanted to do the trainings for the state of Colorado, record it and use that as part of my training video. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, in return, Colorado parks and wildlife, the, the state, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, you know, whoever, BLM, um, they all get free training out of the deal. So it's a win-win, right? Right. Again, and then the animals win. That's the third identifiable winner in that deal. The animals win because now instead of being run over or picked up with shovels or whatever the BLM and Fish and Wildlife are doing now, they're trained on how to use hooks and, and tongs and not squeeze their head off. Um, so that was that was kind of my pitch. And the direct response across the table from our state herpetologist was, and I quote, the only way to work with a venomous animal is safely is if it's dead. Nice. Oh, so this is your state herpetologist. Yes. Yes, sir. Oh, the one you said who, uh, who deals oh, with bats oh is a bat biologist. For, yeah. For the sure. one animal Jesus that's the Christ. biggest vector of disease in humans in yeah. the history of everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, besides insects. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Besides insects, that's Jeez. true. Yeah, 100%. So, um, so yeah, so Colorado's a weird thing. So back to your original question. Um, I, I have a lot of venomous snakes now. Uh, most of them are stored in various labs. 
I have venomous animals that I've collected on my own permits that are in uh, museums, like the Sternberg Museum in, in Hayes, Kansas, um, where I went to school at Fort Hayes State. There's a, on display all 24 species of U.S. rattlesnakes Ooh, live on display. That's cool. And we have, we have two of each, and I think we're actually the only ones in the country that have that entire collection um, with everything, uh, every U.S. rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other places that have more rattlesnakes and almost all of them, but I'm one of only two people in the country that have, well, three people on one permit, one person on another. So there's two permits, four people that are permitted um, to actually go out and collect twin spots and Arizona originals rattlesnakes. And originals are one of the most protected snakes in the country. Yeah. Um, and I have a permit to take one out of the wild every year. So uh, again, I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, where I, where I sit. So I, I do have some animals that I collected, but I do not keep anything at my house. I do not keep personally. I would like to be able to do that at some point. Right. Um, my daughter's actually, my daughter turns 18 in October. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows where I'm going to end up in the country and what I'll, what I'll do next. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would like to be in a place, you know, like Florida or somewhere or, or wherever that I can, I can keep venomous and, um, so and South be able Carolina to do is more. The place, you know? man. Yeah, man, you got to come down. Well, I got, it'll be easy. Hey, I, I'm, I'm at least going to come out and, uh, so and visit with you guys and check this thing. Yeah, like, I'll come out. I'll come out and check it out. Like yeah, I said, I've only man. been out. I've only been out uh, a couple times, and that was the Myrtle Beach. That doesn't really count. Myrtle oh man, Buford said Buford. You you love Buford, man. It's a great place. You know, if you come during the right time of year, we I walk go around barefoot all the time. Oh yeah, man. Come right time of year, we can <laughs> we can go on a little uh, little road cruise and whatnot, catch some snakes. Yeah, I'm in, man. We'll do a whole oh, YouTube yeah. episode on it. Let's do it. Oh man, that'd be so awesome. Myrtle Beach is the yeah. butthole of South Carolina. Yeah, I went to actually, but not far from from Myrtle Beach is a little place I went to school called Georgetown, South Carolina. It's not a bad, it's not a bad area. Georgetown, Polly's like in the middle South. of the Francis Marion, Marion. Yeah, pretty much forest. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it is a nice little I'll come town. Out, I'll it come smells out, good, man. Yeah, no, dude, Buford, Buford's where it's at, man. Nice, nice little town. What's your yeah, favorite like, U.S. Like... species of rattlesnake? Oh, dude, that's so hard because they're yeah. so awesome. So I, I love finding the ridge nose and, and twin spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that's because the, the glory that's in finding those things, because I know people that have been looking for four or five years just to get pictures and never found them. Um, they're really hard to get to. <laughs> so so the, the reward after the, you know, hour and a half drive from the closest town, 45 minutes of four-wheeling to get to the trailhead, and then a two-and-a-half-hour hike up, 2,500 feet just to get to the bottom of the talus to start looking. Um, so the reward in that is, is great. Um, you throw the ring into the volcano at some point too, right? (laughs) (laughs) While I'm up there, once he uh, finds a rat, once he finds a rattlesnake, he's like, (laughs) yeah, dude. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. It's, uh, no, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty funny. <laughs> um, you know, the, no, the, dude, for real, that's awesome. Though. They're fun to go find, you know, uh, they're super cool. But I, I would have to say that one of my favorite species, as weird as this is, is, is probably, um, man, it's a tie between Timbers and Arizona Blacks. We call them cane breaks down here. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I love cane breaks. 
Well, they've actually been doing a lot of studies. You know, people used to say that that was just like a cottonmouth water moccasin name change, depending on where you lived and whatever else. Yeah. But they've actually been doing a lot of a lot of studies and research over the last five years um, that have actually shown a, a difference in venom composition between the two. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that definitely. Yeah, um, and, you know, it's, yeah, and I've always been under like the impression that like once you get down in our area. You know, they're, we we consider them the cane breaks, but like up in, in the northern parts, you know, they're all timbers. You know, they were at a least that's how I've always kind of gone gone with it. Yeah, and I think it's kind of from like the the Carolinas south through Florida, right? Into, like Georgia, whatever. Um, and then as you go more into like Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Indiana, that's more like the the timber spot. So, and it's like, man, you can't. You can't tell me they're not different. I mean, they're so the, the just the, the the colors alone are night and day different. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, it, they look completely different. Like I've seen, I found, I found one big, big one here that was like blonde. It was like just straight blonde with like a black stripe down its back. It and who doesn't love blondes, man? Who yeah. doesn't I, love the I'm, salmon I mean, pink ones? I'm blonde, so oh, and oh my Dude, god, those yes. salmon pink cane breaks are. Yes. something special yeah I, I just I, I love those snakes man and what's funny about that um now that i think about it the, the tie for first between the arizona blacks and the the timbers um or cambrakes whatever hortus we'll just call them that um, <laughs> but you know the, the funny thing about those two is those two are probably the most puppy dog tame docile animals in in the u.s venomous oh, yeah. world, i would say um so it's interesting that I chose those as my as my top favorites. Then they're yeah. both like the least exciting to work with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I worked with I worked with a lot of cane breaks because I I worked on a plantation for my internship for school, and that kind of became my job was moving venomous snakes away from you know hunting areas, you know things like that. When people found them instead of them killing them, they called me. Yeah, so re relocation. I, yeah, yeah. So I started doing that on the plantation because my boss, you know, didn't want them dead, you know. But that was the majority of what I dealt with was cane breaks. And I think out of the several I dealt with, maybe one or two actually rattled at me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, dude. They're complete. They're so docile. Yeah, I couldn't I mean, compared believe Compared to the Aatrox, they're they're nothing. They're oh, they're psycho shadows. <laughs> I've had Aatrox break their jaws on the glass as I walked past it. And I don't think I've ever had ever, dude, in, in in thousands of hours of working with different venomous species, mainly U.S. species, I mean, thousands of hours, dude. And um, I, I don't think I've ever had a, a hordus strike at me or, wow. or an Arizona black strike at me, not in the wild or captivity. Wow. Um, not to be fair, in the wild, I, I don't find either of them as often as mm -hmm. Aatrox or Mojave. Um, but those things are just psychopaths, man. And um, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, hey, trucks are assholes. It's like it's like it's like every time I, I collect one and throw it in a bucket, um, you know, for, for one of the venom labs or whatever. I, I it's like they're trying to kill themselves before they go in the bucket. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like, dude. never gonna get me alive. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, yeah, dude. But I love those things, man. I love the working with those. Oh guys. yeah, they, they'll they'll always hold a special place in my thumb. For sure, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But yeah. I, you know, it, too bad Ben Franklin didn't get didn't get his way, and we didn't have that as our. Think about how snakes would be viewed if Ben Franklin got his way and we would have had the, the timber rattlesnake as our national symbol instead of the... Yeah, oh, awesome. my God. 
That would be so awesome. Dude, my job would be a, a hell of a lot easier, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's America. Yeah, dude. I mean, Metallica oh, wrote a freaking song about him, man. Like, come on. Yeah. It doesn't get any come more on. American than Metallica. Yeah, dude. Like, And I like mean, it's... come on. Don't tread on me. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. Come there's, on. There's three things that are that super That should be American, the national dude. anthem. Yeah, yeah, right there. There's three things that are super American, man. That's uh, Timber Rattlesnakes, baseball, and James Hetfield, dude, for sure. Yeah, like, those are the three most American things there is. <laughs> 100%. I will say, when we went to Carpet Fest back in February, P and Cody had some twin spotted, and uh, seeing those things in person for the first time, those are really cool. Those dude, are, they're super cool really little snakes, man. They're, their faces, they don't even look like biparids, man. They yeah, don't even look like yeah. They're, 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 they're the only, yeah, dude, they're the only venomous snake in the U.S. that they almost have like a little like round rat snake puppy dog face. Like mm-hmm. they're really weird looking, but they're super cute <laughs> for that reason, man. And their eyes are so dark that you can't really see the slit in the pupil most of the time. So they just look like they have these giant black eyes. Just black. Like, yeah, dude. like Little, giant, little demons. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I knew they were um, small. I didn't know they were that small because I remember seeing them peeing Cody's, and they're like, "Oh yeah, those are adults." I'm like, "What, really?" But, yeah, and I, I've I've got one now that at the museum that's probably, I don't know. And I say I have it at the museum. I collected it, but it's uh, you know the museum owns it now. <laughs> but um, I, I that thing was probably close to 18 inches, and you know about as big around as my thumb, or a little bit bigger. I mean, it's a decent wow. size one mm-hmm. for sure, but. Um, most of them, you know, most of them, if you, if you get them, I don't know, 10, 12 inches is, is usually pretty big. That's nuts. Sounds about like a pygmy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty similar in size. They usually, I mean, the difference though, is that twin spots will get to a little bit bigger than, than most of the pygmies, but I've seen them with eight, 10, 12 beads on their rattles. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude, I actually have a twin Jesus. spot that, like, it's probably eight inches long, and it has, like, a one-inch rattle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's yeah, dude. But it's, it's, like, it's like the tip of a pencil thin and see-through. But, yeah, it's like a one-inch rattle. Um, wow. And you won't see that on pygmies, right? Like, right. I just – Yeah, just one very, all. very little. They'll get a few buttons at, at best, and they usually don't make much noise. But that's one of the things yeah. that makes finding twin spots. In, and uh, um, so the twin spots and – you know, originals, both the snakes that live high up in the talus and, mm-hmm. and whatever else. That's kind of one of the things that makes them hard to find is that even when they do rattle, it doesn't sound like a rattle. Like, that's one of the best ways to find them is to just to walk around carefully stepping over rocks in a rock listen field. Listen for the kazoo. It and listen, yeah, dude, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's like a kazoo from 15 feet away through a, a toilet paper tube and then muffled. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? like, <laughs> it's a little more like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, they're weird, man, but yeah, they're such cool little snakes. I'm glad a lot, not a lot of people get to see those things. Um, you know, the twin spots. Yeah. So that's cool. You guys are going to see them. They're yeah, super they have cool. them set up. I mean, obviously everything in their collection is set up immaculately, but oh, yeah. they're set up for those things is killer. I, I, I don't, thought i got a picture of it but maybe i didn't someone did i'll have to hunt down somebody who got a picture of that set up and i'll send it to you because it's awesome see man and that's yeah that's awesome i would love to see that I, all their stuff so, man they, they they do all their setups right man oh that's huge that was actually one of my favorite things when i worked at the denver zoo um i was there for two years as an assistant keeper before i even considered going to college um and uh and that was one of my jobs that was i got to go down to the greenhouse pick out all my own plants and then 
go design all the cages for like mm-hmm. the mambas and the horned vipers oh, and oh yeah. Uh, yeah dude so i got to do cage design and a lot of them actually from like 2010 and 2011 are still like that they actually are still the same way i set them up um to this day but that was that was a great job dude. i love doing exhibit design man it's one of my favorite things to do um but i'm just a creator by nature right like yeah i i, I i'm i'm love hating this new youtube thing because we've been asked for over a year to do a youtube channel um pushed by a lot of people which i gave like i don't know six or seven real big shout outs to the guys who have been really pushing us more than anybody else to do the youtube channel um big youtubers and that episode actually i'm going to finish it the exporting and rendering is going to be finished by the time we finish this podcast tonight and i'm going to be launching it tonight venom life gear um I think I'm going to rename it to Venom Life TV because I haven't launched it yet. But that'll, that's actually going to hit tonight. But just doing that video, like I have a love-hate relationship with the YouTube process mm-hmm. now. Um, Videos are a lot of work. Doing, yeah, but doing this, man. And then I was like, oh, I was a musician. And then I did construction for like 15 years off and on. Mm-hmm. And I like working on cars. And I like, and I was like, man, I'm just a creator, right? I like create. I like creating businesses. I like creating relationships. I like creating this podcast. I love creating. I just love creating. So that's kind of what I found. And I, that's where I started to put my focus and my energy is, hey, man, I just want to do stuff that I get to create, right? And that's where I really started doing it. And like I was saying earlier, you know, it's one of the biggest recommendations I have for these kids when I go talk to them, uh, middle school, high school kids in their classrooms around the country, is I say, listen, man, if you if you do what you love, and you're the best at it, somebody somewhere is gonna pay you to do it. Yep. I don't give a shit what it is. Like, I don't care what it is, dude. You're like, oh, I, I'm, I love telling jokes. Like, people, people laugh at that, but guess what? There's writers on SNL who have stage fright and make way more money than the three of us combined yeah. telling jokes. <laughs> and they don't even have to go on camera, bro. Yep. <laughs> Think about that. Like, yeah. dude, if you, if you do what you love and you're the best at it, somebody somewhere is gonna pay you to do it, period. I don't care what it is. And so that's what really success is all about. That's what making a living is all about. That's where true happiness really lies, is doing what you love, being the best at it, and then getting paid for it. Are you a big Gary Vee guy? Oh, dude, 100%, man. 100%. (laughs) Me too. Uh, You can hear it. Oh, yeah, dude. I do do all those guys, man. I've I've done 74 books since last May, and 52 of them were on Audible. Um. Yeah, dude, I do, I've done them all, man. Leaders Eat Last. I, I've done all Gary V stuff. Mm-hmm. Mel Robbins, like, I've I, done yeah, the I Tony Robbins. Like the Mel Trump, Robbins book. Read, but yeah, dude, Mel Robbins is awesome, man. Like, she's great too. Um, Simon Sinek, Grant Cardone. Yeah, dude, 100. I'm mm-hmm. I'm 100 behind all those guys. <laughs> like, nice. Um, but I but I, it's it's kind of like you know religion, politics, everything else, man. If you just pick and choose the parts you like, make it your own. Like, then you then you won't ever hate it. Yeah. Very true. So how did so, the uh, yeah, dude. how did the Snakebite Foundation relationship come about? So it was interesting, man. I um, it was it was last spring. It was right about the time that we were just getting ready to launch Venom Life. Like we had just ordered in all the shirts. We had just done all that stuff. We were like a week old. The Shopify store wasn't even up yet, but we'd already done our first show as Venom Life, mm-hmm. kind of like as a trial by fire thing where we just brought some extra shirts to Arlington to see how they did. And we did double our best show ever. We're like, hey, we're onto something. Let's start a website. So that's how Venom Life came along, man. And um, around, about a week later, um, you know, I was the director of sales, um, director of sales and, and kind of the PR guy for 
and herpetologist, you know, snake collector for M toxins with Nate Frank. Yep. Um, yep. And I, I did that for, for a few years, man. And he's still my buddy, but um, you know, we're not working together anymore with him launching the new zoo and everything else. It, I was like, aside from the fact that I was spreading myself pretty thin, um, I just didn't want to, I was like, man, you need to, you need to be able to work with somebody who can physically be there and physically help you set up these cages and physically care for the animals. And mm -hmm. so, so that freed up some, some money for him to be able to hire somebody who now is Megan um, and be able to do that. So, and, and, and you know, Nate, Nate's still my buddy. I got nothing bad to say about him. Um, but he was brought in to the snake bite foundation and said, you know, you got to get venom life and get hooked involved. Um, so I said, cool. I got on the phone with Jordan Benjamin, who's the founder um, and uh, the, you know, chair of the board. Uh, he's like 28, about to start med school. He's a NREMT paramedic. Um, and he's basically just wanted to go learn about venomous snakes. So we got a hold of Jean-Philippe Chapeau out in Africa. Mm -hmm. And he called him up and said, hey, I want to work with snakes and do snake bite medicine in rural parts of Africa. And he said, all right, get here and, uh, and you can work with me. And so that's what he did. So he started the foundation to help people worldwide with relief from snake bite. And um, I got on the phone with him just to talk about Venom Life and Get Hooked and how we could help. I told him a little bit of the story, uh, not dissimilar from the conversation that we've had this evening, and um, just kind of got to know me. And he's like, man, you kind of got to be the face for this, man. Like, when is somebody who is well-spoken, who's already out there, who's already well-known, who already has a good reputation and people respect and listen to, to go out and talk about this? And so I kind of got thrown into the PR um, spot slash herpetologist um, as one of the animal experts. Most of the other guys are, you know, EMTs, doctors, physicians, researchers is pretty much the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm none of those things, right? So I'm kind of the face spokesperson, spread the word, uh, you know, minister, if you will. <laughs> I'm the evangelist. Um, and, and then the kind of the animal expert too, right? Because that's, that's where as a zoologist who specializes in venomous snakes, um, that's kind of where my, my specialty lies. So that's how I was brought in. And I said, you know, I want to be able to do more than just that. Um, it would help grow my businesses if they were tied to something like this, because people will want to support that yeah. more than they will just a t-shirt company. So it was mutually beneficial, right? I was able to grow and I can attribute a lot of that relationship to how well Venom Life is done. But in return, um, and get hooked, but in return, we've been able to send boxes and boxes of shirts, swag, and more importantly, snake hooks, pinners, um, tongs, things like that, mm -hmm. over to Guinea, Benin, uh, Sierra Leone, Kenya, to the places where the snake bike clinics are being set up by our team, um, and distributing those to people and then doing the trainings for them how to work with these animals in their towns. So now they're safer. The yeah. animals are safer. Yeah. They have a better working relationship. So now the animals are benefiting. The people are, are in a controlled because, you know, back to the, you know, the state herpetologist at CPW, when she said that to me, the only safe way to work with a venomous snake is if it's dead. My, my immediate response was, I would argue that, um, you know, I, I would argue that it, it's much safer for the animal and the person if they're using the proper tools with the proper training. It's safer for both parties. Yeah, look at the statistics of how many people have been bit by dead snakes. 
dude, hunt, quote, hunting unquote, head. dead snakes. In, in yeah, dude, in 2012, they did a study just in Australia um, with over 30, I think there were like 35,000 bites or something like that in Australia in 2012. And I think uh, like 12,000 of them, uh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't that many, like 85% of them um, that did cause fatalities were 85% was somebody messing with the snake. Hmm. Right. And, and we know that we know that dude, to be walking along, hiking, hunting, whatever, not see it, not hear it and get bit. And then more, you know, more to that, like actually die from it. it I mean, the chances of you being struck by lightning twice in your life, than dying from a venomous snake in the U S is, is double. You have a, two times better chance of being struck by lightning twice in your life than you do from dying from snake bite in the U S statistically wow. speaking. Um, and so we know that people messing with snakes is how people are bit. You know, on average, there's eight to 9,000 bites in the U S every year, mm -hmm. um, in the U S right. And less than 1% of those are fatal of that 1% of the eight or 9,000 less than 1%. It's usually about four or five deaths every year. Um, you know, they're old, young, or have some sort of a compromised right. immune system. Some sort of pre-existing condition. Yeah. yeah. Or anaphylaxis. Because uh, venom is venom, dude. You know, people die from bees. 150, 180 people die every year from bee stings mm -hmm. in the United States. Compared to five snake bites. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And it's 30 times higher. And, um, you know, venom is venom. It's all just enzymes and proteins. Right. So, I mean, there's other things in there as well, but it's basically enzymes and proteins. Um, that's venom compounds. So bee venom, which 150 people die from usually anaphylaxis, you can be allergic to anything. And unfortunately for venom, you can't do a scratch test for it at the, you right, know, allergy right. and asthma centers yeah. because you can't test for venom on a scratch test. So the only way to find out is be allergic to venom is to get bit. Um, but, you know, like I said, that's that's generally how people are bit is messing with the animals. And keep in mind, too, that that 9,000, 8 to 9,000 a year number, that includes guys like us that go out there and, and mess with them on purpose. Mm -hmm. Guys like that work yeah. in their twos, like the Drew. venom extractors, all of those those bites are, are counted into those numbers. Right. Now, to put this into perspective, that's the entire United States, 300 and what, 327 million people, 327.12 million people, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, in Africa, like that's where most of the work's being done with the Sleepy Snake Bite Foundation right now. And it's not because the rest of the world doesn't need our help. It's because we basically are starting with the, the places of greatest need. Yeah. Well, I know um, India, also, and, India and Sri Lanka were big ones for a really long time, and I'm sure they still dude, are. 100%. Absolutely, they still are, man. They absolutely are. But, you know, most of Africa doesn't have big cities and big hospitals right. within a relatively close distance, whereas those are fairly well spread out throughout mm -hmm. India um, in comparison, right? And smaller, smaller country, um, more big cities, more evenly spread out. Whereas in Africa, you got like South Africa and then that's it. Right. Um, and, and two, there was already that basis because Jordan was already working there. So we already had a lot of inns. We already had people over there that it was an easy in. It was a good place for us to start. We had to, to start a footprint. You know, Snake Bite Foundation is coming up on like two years old. Mm -hmm. So it still is a really new thing. So we just needed to get our foot out there, show people that this works, and then spread it across the world from there. So that's what we're doing now. But yeah, I mean, the numbers right now, the World Health in 2017, um, 
they they said that snake bite was now considered a neglected tropical disease. Mm-hmm. Same as you know Ebola was yeah. and uh, dengue fever, typhoid, malaria. All those are neglected tropical diseases. Snake bite is now considered a neglected tropical disease. Wow. And we say that it's the worst neglected tr- tropical disease that you've never heard of. Yeah, were you guys were involved they- in that documentary that was put out? About um, that? no. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. It's like a hundred minutes to live or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, some of my colleagues probably were, but I, I definitely was not. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about the the World Health numbers says. We we use the number six hundred and eighty-five, approximately six hundred and eighty-five thousand deaths from snake bite worldwide every year. Okay, so thinking about that, we know that it's probably much closer to double that, mm-hmm. because as you alluded to, the entirety of the Congo has no data. Yeah, two thirds of India has no data. Two thirds of Australia has no data lots of parts of South America have no data. So that's just what we know. Also right. in the places that do have good snake bite medicine and snake bite triage around the world, people that don't make it to the hospital, people that die overnight or in their sleep, um, none of those are counted. So if you go to snakebitefoundation.org, we have a quote unquote live snake bite counter at the bottom of the page. So right now, year to date, I'm looking at it as we speak, 1.8 million snake bites one eight four zero seven one three. Oh, it just changed seven one four. Um, so one point eight million snake bites, nine hundred and twenty thousand envenomations, one hundred and eighty four thousand disabilities caused, and forty nine thousand deaths. And what are we on right now? January, February, March, yeah. April. May. So we're on. We're on like week, what, seventeen, mm-hmm. <laughs> eighteen. Think about that. And this is just yeah. what we know, guys. This is like this is what we're allowed to publish because it's mm-hmm. the World Health data. It, it's easily twice that, and we're talking well over four hundred deaths every single day from snake bite worldwide. Is there a country in Africa that's that's worse than the others? Um, yeah, all of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there definitely is, man. Um, so we actually we just we just made the executive decision, the board did for the Snake Bite Foundation, that starting this year and then. You know, COVID-19 kind of messed that up um, with us moving forward right now. But starting this year, we're actually putting all of our all of our main efforts into Guinea um, because Guinea is actually one of the worst right now. In Guinea, more people die every month from snake bite than dengue, malaria, and typhoid combined. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, think about that. So when we were in, when we went to Kindia, um, which is, you know, in, in uh, Kenya, yep. when the guys were in yep. Kindia last year, um, you know, they showed up and the, they got picked up at the Kindia airport and they were on the way back. And, you know, it was like the mayor or the governor or whoever it was, um, the county director. I don't know who it was, one of the county guys. And uh, he, I think it was the governor. Anyways, he was driving back to the airport, whatever. And they talked to him and they, he, you know, they said, yeah, we understand. You know, you have like 350, you know, snake bite deaths or whatever. Um, at Mamba's every year, whatever, and he's like, "No, dude, that's we had more than that last month." Wow, Jesus, good God! And the guys treated. Um, I think they treated on jet. Oh man. Um, I think I think the guys ended up treating like 
an average of 12 to 14 snake bites a day the entire like 14 days that they were there. Wow. And that's just at this one little clinic that they set up. So the, the, the point of the snake bite foundation is basically to, to go over <clears throat> to places like that, set up snake bite clinics. So go to a, like a rural hospital, no windows, no doors, usually get tossed into the couple rooms across from the, the AIDS ward mm-hmm. or the HIV ward or whatever. Um, you know, no windows, no doors, mosquitoes everywhere. And we're just tossed into these rooms and all right, set up a snake bite clinic. We provide the antivenom, the syringes, ketamine, bandages, anything you need for snake bite triage that doesn't require EKGs and ventilators. And, you know, some of these places are hours away from, you know, big electricity, let alone, like I said, windows and doors, right? Yeah. Most of the doctors wouldn't even know how to use a ventilator, you know, if they were given one. So, so the point is to be able to do more of like, field emergency medicine than uh than actual doctor work right so they train doctors and nurses and clinicians and some of the general public as volunteers how to do snake bite medicine how to check vitals what to look for how to to you know track the swelling how to be able to better identify the animal how to know what antivenoms to use or if you don't have antivenom how to do certain types of direct push, how many vials to start with. All of that training is put into it. But that's only part of the battle, man. You know, there's a, there's a, what we call a, right now is a vicious cycle, which is really bad because basically what ends up happening is like, there's a cool little story, little video on the website, but I'll tell you real quick. So say, you know, this farmer's uh, a 24 hour truck right away from on the back of a vegetable truck from the nearest hospital, right? So he gets bit. He goes to the local witch doctor or whatever. Um, they use a rusty blade, cut his foot 40 times, and then rub dirty in it. So now he's risking secondary and tertiary infection on top mm. of the snake bite with no antivenom, no treatment. Mm. Then two, three days later, it starts to get really, really bad. He's in and out of consciousness. So he takes his back of the truck ride on a vegetable truck for 24 hours, 12 hours, whatever it is, to the nearest hospital. He gets there. They may or may not have antivenom. It may or may not be expired. For a while, France, parts of France was selling to Africa fake antivenom. Um, a lot of it's expired Jesus. because the refrigeration isn't very good if it is this at all. Yeah. Um, some of it, you know, so you have expired or bad or worse, fake antivenoms. This gets administered to this patient three days after the fact. Let's say he doesn't die or, or he does, or maybe he just loses his leg, but he owns a farm. Now he goes back a week later with no leg and a huge hospital bill. So he has to sell his farm and all of his animals, loses his entire livelihood to pay the hospital bills. What do the people in the village say? Well, he went to the witch doctor. He was fine for three days. He went to the hospital, lost his leg, and then came back and lost everything. I'm not going to the hospital, mm-hmm. right? So educating right. the public in the rural areas and the villages around there, why it's important, and then working with the local witch doctors and shamans and, and local healers on, on why it's important, like, you know, we basically have to trick them into thinking that it was their idea to to send them over and that they get all the credit for saving their lives if they send them to the hospital. So it's a super tricky thing, man, but that's the cycle that we're working with right now. So just providing good antivenom is not good enough. Like we have a huge public edu- education outreach program attached to this, as well as supplying the actual stuff, which is the money, the money that we get at the foundation. Um, nobody gets paid. None of us get paid. We're all volunteers. And that pays for trips over there. It pays for 
ventilators. It pays for shipping the hook boxes over when we send hooks, things like that. It pays for us to stay over there, car rental, whatever we have to do. And then it also pays for the anti-venom, the syringes, the bandages, things like that. So that's, that's how we're trying to turn this vicious circle into a virtuous cycle is really what our end goal is. And what species are you seeing or they seeing a lot of bites from? Um, so most of the parts of Africa, the big work over the last couple of years has been done starting with Benin um, and then kind of Kenya. Uh, they did some stuff in Sierra Leone and now Guinea. Um, those are kind of the big areas that, that the work has been done. And the, there's some, some mamba bites are pretty bad. Quite a few cobra bites and spitting cobra bites. Um, but it's, you know, the echis, man, the carpet vipers. Oh yeah. I bet Dude, those, Oof. those things, those things kill more in, in the part of Guinea where we're currently working, like more people die from echis bites than all other snake bites combined. Jeez. I think it's in Guinea. Don't, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. If you're fact checking, it might've, it might've been one of the other places that we were working, but one of the places that the snake bite foundation has done work in the last two years, um, that was the case. Like this just. And we know that that kills more people in Africa than and all other snakes. Yeah, it's uh, just that's wild that they're, they're that small and they they pack so much of a punch. That's yeah, crazy. 100%, man. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the toxicity on those things is crazy. But a lot of it, you know, too, is when we talk about LD50 and all this other stuff in the research world, the mm -hmm. lethal dose 50 and lethal dose for 50 mice and all that other stuff, um, you know, I – I, I have a hard time going along with a lot of the LD stuff. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask if you if you if you thought that was a decent measuring stick or not, because I know a lot of people it, it, like to look at those and be like, "Oh wow, you know, this is it's like that's mice, though." You know, that's yeah, it, it is it, it is mice, and and to be fair, you know, they're they're mammals just like we are. But we've seen things like, um, you know, look at more of the most quote unquote drop for drop venomous animals in in the United States, um, particularly venomous snakes. Those are all desert adapted species who generally are eating more often than not, you know, other reptiles mm -hmm. and things like that. And, and, you know, we've seen, so Steve McAtee up at UNC, good friend of mine, he's one of the leading uh, biochemist venom experts in the world and definitely one of the top in the United States. And he put out some research just a couple of years ago with one of his grad students um, that he tested the venom composition of prairie rattlesnakes in Colorado versus the venom composition of prairie rattlesnakes in uh, New Mexico. So like, you know, a seven hour drive away Yeah. and a seven hour drive, there were, there, I mean, there was almost a complete opposite shift in the ACE inhibitors versus um, the, oh man, what was the other one? Ah, it doesn't matter what it was. One of the other, you know, big enzymes that was in there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, Primarily, the, the hypothesis behind that, the theory now, is that in Colorado, they eat a lot more small rodents and mammals. And down there, they're way more desert-adapted eating lizards and things. So they have complete, completely different um, venom composition based on that. So when you're testing a venom that's specifically designed for something like an arthropod or... Uh, a lizard or another, you know, reptile of some sort. Um, that venom is not going to work the same on breaking down mammal tissues or anything that's ectothermic, right. um, as it is on on you know those other species. So now, now to be fair, there is something to be said about the LD50, like you know the the taipan, right? Mm -hmm. The inland taipan, Papuan taipan, and coastal taipans. 
three of the most deadly snakes in Australia um, and, you know, that, that whole Indo-Pacific region. Um, and we know that the LD50 on the Oxyaranus genus is ridiculous, like could kill 150 humans and 300,000 mice, you know, with yeah. one bite. That's what the LD50 says. Um, so we know it's nothing to be messing around with. So that being said, I'm not saying that if the LD50 that's high on mice won't hurt humans. I'm just saying it's not an exact distinguishing factor of, yeah. of how it's going to affect humans. Not to mention, if you have anaphylaxis, you, get, you could get scratched by anything, mm -hmm. get aerosolized or particleized dried venom in a scratch that's only three layers deep and still stop breathing in seven to ten minutes. So Jesus. toxicity really doesn't have anything to be said over anaphylaxis. Dude, there, there's no snake, snake bite that's going to kill you in seven to ten minutes venom-wise. Venom just doesn't work that fast. Right. It just so I'd be way more worried about yeah, yeah. dude, 100%. So I'd be way more worried about that if I was somebody you know that was worried about it, um, which, to be fair, I am. Um, but I'd be way more worried about that than, than the LD50, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just – I just wanted to kind of throw that out there from the science standpoint for anybody who's listening and curious um kind of on the venom research side and and just so so anybody knows anybody listening um you know you guys can look me up on facebook instagram messenger whatever brent schultz brent the venomous schultz um hit me up on any of those platforms i i love to chat to people about this stuff man i'll i could not even know who you are you could be a high school kid that's interested in this stuff or or a researcher who completely disagrees with me um if you're listening whatever i'm i'm happy to to take phone calls man um whatever messenger we can schedule a, a one hour phone call to talk about whatever. I'm, I'm happy to do that, man. I just love interacting with people and, and, uh, and listen, I don't know everything about everything. You know, Lao Tzu was one of my favorite quotes from Lao Tzu. One of the, the first true Buddhist monks. Um, he said, a man who knows everything learns nothing. Oh wait, that was Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> 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 a man who knows everything learns nothing. Yeah. And that's a question I get asked a lot, you know, just talking to, quote-unquote civilians you know they're they're you know what's the most toxic or you know most poisonous species of snake i'm like well it's not really that cut and dry no you know what my favorite go-to is people say what's I, I say so what is the most dangerous snake in the world mm -hmm. they're like yeah i said the most dangerous snake in the world hands down without a doubt is the one that just bit you yeah that's exactly what i was thinking <laughs> that's, that's, the that's the only one that matters that's the only one that matters um yeah, that's the only snake that matters, man. That's by yeah. far the most dangerous snake in the world. You ever, um, you ever hear thing, about dude. any really like obscure ones from overseas? Like a species uh, that bite? you, yeah, that you, you know, a species where you hear somebody got bit by that, and you're like, really? Like cool oh, yeah, snake dude, like, bites well, around here, you know, they they happen, but they're rare, and everyone's like, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was just when I was at, at uh, I was at. Um, down in Deland, Florida, just last week, talking with Carl Bard, and we brought him a coral snake and a um, uh, what else? And a, a cottonmouth. We brought him a couple of those things and put him on the venom line when I was down there last week. And uh, we were just talking to him, and, and we were talking about coral snakes. And I was like, I don't think there's ever been a. Please, if somebody knows, man, send me a message, show me where it's at. But he and I both looked at each other and were like, I don't think it's ever been actually reported that a Sonoran coral snake has ever actually bit anybody. I don't think it's ever been reported. Hmm. So yeah, that's super weird. But uh, a Malaysian blue coral snake, man. I actually Ooh, heard from a guy that that's had, uh, was bit was bit by one of those. And uh, actually, you know, I think Brian Fry actually was bit by one of those. 
That's uh, if you've ever read bite reports about those things, it's wild. Calliopus. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Calliopus bite reports. I love one of those. So, Doctor Brian Fry, one of the world leading venom experts, um, and depending on what side you're on, if you're on his side or, I guess, everybody else's side on the venomous lizards um, that aren't beaded, but. you know, he actually has gotten a ton of his venom from us when I was over at M Toxins. We sent a ton of our venom mm-hmm. over to, to Brian Fry. So we've been working with him off and on for, for a while now. Um, and he, uh, and we gave him a Venom Life shirt in Amsterdam when we were there in October at the, the Venom show in Amsterdam. Um, but anyways, he, uh, he was actually bit by one of those things. And he says in his book, he's like, Dude, that was hands down by far the worst bite he's ever had by any yeah. yeah. Sorry, have, you, have you ever been bit by anything? No, no, absolutely not, man. No, not only do I manufacture the hooks um, that we use them safely work with the animals, I also yeah, do the sure. trainings for people how to use the, the hooks that I manufacture, including the U.S. military. So if I get bit, it's bad for business. Like Nobody wants to learn how to drop <laughs> from the asshole traffic all the time, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I'm just saying. So, um, yeah, so no, I never have been bit, man. I, you know, people say it's a numbers game. Um, of course, there's an inherent risk. The more you do anything dangerous, the more risky it becomes. I understand that. But at the same time, I don't say that it's inevitable. I, I don't believe that. I don't think it is. Um, I, I know people who, that. yeah, dude, but I've known people who are pilots their whole lives and never crashed. I know people yeah. who were skydivers their whole lives and never crashed. I know people who were avalanche explosive experts and you know what i mean guys who work in mines their whole lives and it never collapsed like i don't think it's inevitable i understand the inherent risks and the higher higher risk um based on numbers and that it's a it's a relative curve um exponential growth i understand that with the risk factor but i do not 100 percent believe that it's inherent i'm i'm intending to to be one of the first guys who works with on and around venomous animals my entire career and never gets bit well, that's one of those things. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, there really isn't a ton of risk involved. It's when you start, you know, complacency and overall stupidity. Exactly if you're a free handler, an asshole, you know, that's that's exactly it, man. First of all, no free handling. That's that's a that's a that's a big no no, man. And I don't just say that because I sell snake hooks. I say that because um, you have a brain. Unless you're, yeah, dude. Unless you <laughs> unless you are exactly unless you're grabbing the animal, trained professionally to grab the animal behind the head and you're taking venom for medical or pharmaceutical research, that's the only reason anybody has to grab a, a venomous animal behind the head, period. If you're not picking it up that way for that reason, you have no business picking up that snake behind the head, period. I don't care who you are. And um, you know, if you do that and get bit, well, that's probably why, right? And so I have uh, I don't want to say I have no no remorse for people who are free handlers and bit. You know, a lot of people just don't know any better. They, yeah, but I mean, you gotta <laughs> you gotta consider too that when you're in and around it for long enough, you understand that, right? But when you're when you're just a teenage kid and everything you've seen on Instagram, everything you've seen with Steve Irwin your entire childhood, everything you've seen, you don't know any better, like right? You should know that it's it's inherent, but. I mean, for I got pictures of me when I was 10 years old holding a six-foot bull snake, and I have it by the tail with its head down by my feet because because I thought that's how you picked up every snake because that's what I watched Steve Irwin do, right? Like, so there there is that too, man. Because so many people are out there trying to be a badass, trying to be a cool guy, 
because they want to be cool. They want to get likes. They want to get followers. They put themselves and the animal at risk for that. Mm -hmm. And now that's what people think is the right thing to do. Um, and it, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of what social media has done was showed people that that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, there's a new Facebook live video of me picking up this rattlesnake and, Holding you know, like Moab. It's a goddamn corn snake. Like, yeah, dude. I was like, first of all, that's highly illegal. First of all. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, that's a terrible idea. <clears throat> and third of all, posting that for people to see who don't know any better is also a terrible idea. So, I mean, it's tough, man. Like I said, I mean, I, they're idiots. When I see people freehandle, dude, I have 5,000 followers on Facebook and however many on Instagram, whatever. doesn't matter. Every single time. That's how I make room for new people who actually care. Every time I see somebody freehandle anything, yep. gone. Within seconds, Bye. I will delete you and block you from every single media po mm -hmm. uh, platform I have. Period. You're done. I won't even watch it. In, yeah, no, you know, the same period. way, if I see it, I unfollow you. I ain't, I ain't, nope. I ain't indulging I will unfollow that. you immediately. Yep. I will kick you off my friends list and make room for people I actually want to hear from. I always say the comments and likes aren't going to pay the hospital bill, bro. Yeah. Those oh, people man, aren't going to be at your funeral saying, man, he was such a good guy. They're going to be like, oh, we knew that was going to happen. They're not cheering yeah, and dude. clapping because they think it's cool. They're cheering and clapping saying, when's it going to happen? When's the train wreck, you know, rolling in? Oh, dude. Well, that's why we watch anything. I mean, that's why we sensationalize every single thing that's on TV right now. You know, it's all sensationalized. People are just waiting for the train to wreck. And, uh, and that's why we watch anything, man. I mean, you know, the, Kardashian, the Kardashians probably should go on the list of the most American things up there with Metallica and baseball. But <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> it's it sad but true, man. But, you know, it's it, unfortunately like Steve Irwin, bless his heart, rest his soul, love him to death, man. Um, but he was kind of the first one to sensationalize it yeah. uh, in our industry. And, and it was a good thing he did, though, because people didn't pay attention to animals, particularly herpetoculture in general mm -hmm. on TV until that. And he, he kind of paved the way for all of us to be able to do everything we're doing right now, at least on this type of medium between TV, podcasting, radio, social media, whatever else. Um, you know, I, I really credit him a lot for that. Unfortunately... Um, you know, he kind of did it in the crazy, reckless way that yeah. made people think that that was okay. Um, but you know, he, he brought, he brought conservation on a worldwide level to animals that people used to hate and awareness to that in a way that nobody else ever could and nobody else ever did. Right. And well, so nobody else ever will again, probably. No, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, you know, you can only have one first at, at anything. Um, so yeah, hundred percent, man. So, you know, I give him a lot of credit for that and dude, I grew up watching it, man, you know? I, I was born in 82. Um, I, I grew up man. watching 100%. But again, that's one of the things where, you know, the freehandling thing, like, like I said, dude, luckily I wasn't working in and around or in a place with venomous snakes at that age because at 10 years old, I thought that's how you picked up bull snakes was by the tail because that's, right. that's all I knew growing up, right? I think that these people who, who are out there doing that need to consider like, you know, not just themselves, dude, or the animals, but like, if you want to be reckless yourself, fine, that's yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah. But if you're going to post, man, consider the fact that there's seven-year-old kids out there that, that are watching you wanting to be like you when mm -hmm. they grow up. And then the more followers you have, the more social media pull you have, the more influencer you are, the more careful you have to be about the kind of content you're putting out there, man. You are the, the author and editor of your own, your own image, your own content. And people need to be more cautious with that and more, 
definitely more uh, cautious with how it's affecting other people, man. Particularly the next generation of of herpetologists, young scientists, biologists, um, because they're learning from you, man. Well, I mean, think about and, that. How bad would you feel if better. you found out a kid died because they were trying to do what you were doing on Instagram? Dude, I, I would feel absolutely 100% yeah. heartbroken, dude. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of these guys – I don't want to say that they wouldn't care. That's unfair for me to assume that. I don't think that they would, they've would. they considered that enough to care. Well, I, I think a lot of those guys way. don't think outside of themselves is the problem. Yeah, 100%, man. Well, even... unfortunately, we created that monster, man. Yeah. And I mean, not even in the not even in the aspect of you know there are other people watching, but in the aspect of don't assume they just legit don't care. Yeah, don't don't assume that the doctors are just going to be able to fix you. That you know the magic anti venom fairy will just show up via helicopter. You know, like oh, if I get bit, they'll they'll figure it out. You know, so, they, people yeah, don't think 100%. that far down the line. When I talk to people about you know as a as a, a venom guy, right? Um, I don't like to use the word expert. I'm not a venom expert. Um, cause I know a lot of people in a lot of parts of the industry that are way better at everything than I am. Um, but I'm good at all around. So I'm kind of the cat's all for most things. Um, but you know, when I talk to people about this stuff and, and, and that in particular, man, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause when I explain to them how the industry works, that how anti-venom works, um, you know, these guys have never been bit, but they think it's cool. And I explained to them, I was like, yo, you do realize that like on average, the bite costs you 175, $200,000 on average. Yeah. I know a guy in Florida that, that he got bit. It took 37 vials of Crofab at eight to $10,000 a pop yeah. for an Eastern Diamondback bite, dude. Yeah, most expensive he I heard is 400, 400 grand. Yeah, and that's, dude, and, you know, not to mention the $3,000 ambulance ride or the $9,000 helicopter ride, dude. Just to ride in the helicopter from flight for life is like nine grand. And then you ain't leaving the hospital that day. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. There's yeah. overnights. They have to monitor you for usually, usually three to five days. Um, yeah, and, and I, with Profab, you know, it, it, the venom will show back up, and you can actually get serum sickness. Venom, the you, the venom can actually show back up in your system two days later, three days later. Um, it, and and you know what what other people don't realize is, hospitals don't stock anti-venom, bro. Well, yeah. especially for stuff like atheris or, you know, king cobras or any of the exotic stuff that's really popular, monocles, whatever. There's a few hospitals that, that stock anti-venom. Yeah, um, and, that, and that's even for local species, man. You know, when I got when I got hit by the Aatrox, you know, on my way to the hospital, she's like, okay, we have to call the hospital and see if they have any. Yeah, and, so, and, I, and I'm like, what if they don't have any? Then we're going to have to fly there. Yeah, they're, we're like we're gonna have to fly you somewhere that does, and you know that's all I'm thinking about the whole time. Is just I see dollar signs like, oh god, if I have to take a helicopter what? ride, you know, and yeah. So Crofab, Crofab, uh, up until you know two Octobers ago, uh, Vehiclone launched Anivip and Anivip Tri, yep, which is now you know kind of the in competition with the the Crofab. But since the early '90s, dude, Crofab's been the only thing we had um, for all species of U.S. pit viper. So it covers all 24 species of U.S. rattlesnakes, all the cottonmouths and copperheads. The only thing it doesn't cover in the United States is coral snakes. Right. Um, but that's one antivenom for everything. I've done talks for nurses and doctors all over the – well, I don't want to say all over the U.S. and probably five different states about this. Dude, the doctors had no freaking clue well, yeah, that there was one antivenom. That's what I'm getting at is a lot of these guys that, that keep exotic stuff and do fault. stupid stuff. You know, yeah. they're like the doctor probably doesn't even know what a freaking rhino viper is. 
They've never no, heard of that snake. Even. They don't know where to start. They're going to be like, well, we have Crowfab. We could try that. It's like these Probably. doctors <laughs> don't know exactly what to do. Like people assume, like I said, you'll just go to the hospital. They'll patch you up. It'll be fine. You'll go home in you know, a day or two. No big deal. And that's yeah, for, assuming exactly. your conscience no. when it happens. Yeah, 100%, dude. Um, you know, there was, there's been some crazy bites in the last couple of years. Um, there was, there was a bite that was in, uh, up North. Um, the kid was bit by his monocle Cobra. Um, and I'm not naming any names, obviously. Um, he was bit by his monocle Cobra. He had everything labeled. His girlfriend knew what to do. I mean, they had a pretty good protocol, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was labeled on the cage. She, she knew what to do. Um, she called ahead, told them what had happened. Uh, poison control got involved before he was even at the hospital. Um, but 18 and a half hours later, after he got the wrong antivenom, the right antivenom was flown up um, from Miami-Dade Venom 1 from Miami to the northern Midwest. Um, and he got the right antivenom 18 and a half hours after the bite um, because they went in and said that he was bit by his cobra. Uh, the hospital, poison control, whatever, just assumed that cobra means Africa. So that gave him uh, Symer, Samir, man. Um, which is an African polyvalent mm-hmm. for a lapids. Unfortunately, what he was bit by was an Indian cobra, not an African cobra. So it's basically like getting bit by an African cobra a couple hours after he got bit by an Indian cobra. Is that what um, happens when? Because I don't know exactly what happens when they when if you are given the wrong antivenom, is that is that what happens more or less? Well, you're essentially getting the you're essentially getting the antibodies, or at least the fabs, fab one, fab two parts of the IgG antibodies mm-hmm. um, from animals that they process the venom through, and that's how they create antivenom right. um, is the antibodies. So you're you're essentially getting antibodies uh, from from one animal, um, and you don't get the effects of the venom, right? Because you're not getting all the other enzymes right. and proteins yeah. and all the things from the animal. So it's not like getting bit by an African cobra um, if you get Simer, but you you are your body is going to start to you know function with these antibodies and assume that it has the the enzymes and proteins and toxins from this African animal um, when it, it could be completely different, right? So um, completely different enzymes. We know just in the U.S., dude, um, the hemotoxic versus neurotoxic. Um, and cytotoxic venoms of just the, the stuff in the United States. I mean, the Mojave rattlesnakes, the, the A complex versus B, B complex venoms just in Mojave's um, switches from super neurotoxic on one scale yeah. to kind of neurotoxic on the other, mostly hemotoxic. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately it, it doesn't, you don't need to know that, right? But the doctors don't know that. Right. And and people are like, well, why not? You should be training doctors. You should be training doctors. And I'm like, well, I do when I can. But, dude, ha- let's go back to the numbers real quick. 9,000 bites in the entire U.S. every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of those weren't, you know, a lot of them probably weren't even treated. I know guys that were bit by copperheads and never left the house. They just <laughs> watched the swelling and <laughs> let it go, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, that's like a bad bee sting for, for most people. Um, and I'm not trying to downplay that because I know people have been really sick off of that. Again, it's it's a personal thing. But I know people who've been bit by those in pygmies and never even went to the hospital. Um, I'm not recommending that, but I'm just saying I know people who have done that. So this 9,000 bites per year on average um, that we're talking about just in the U.S., how many people go through, name any hospital in the country, how many doctors do they have 
And how many of those doctors have actually treated snake bites? Yeah. Yeah. Very little. Close to none. Right. Right. Aside from like Spencer Green, Sean Bush, Ben Abo, you know, these, these MDs that are kind of our go-to in the U S at least those are kind of like our top three, you know, and we have other, other physicians and, and doctors like, uh, like on the Snake Bite Foundation with Nick Brandehoff. Um, he's one of he's one of our, um, you know, directors of medical directors as well for the ASF. Um, you know, and these guys, they they kind of deal with it all the time because that's their specialty. They built their their practice kind of around that as their specialty, so they're the go-to for that. Mm-hmm. But even then, I know doctors. You know, my partner, man, Chris Woodcock, my business partner at Get Hooked and Venom Life, was a thirty and a half year career firefighter paramedic in Florida, loved venomous animals, worked with them, did his hours, got his uh, DRV, got his venomous license in Florida. He did venom talks at all kinds of places throughout Florida, talking about venomous animals. Never in 30 and a half years as a firefighter paramedic did he go on one call related to snake bite. Jeez. Wow. So that's why doctors don't know about this stuff, man, because to be honest, their, their brains need to be full of um, all kinds of other really important things that happen on a regular basis. <laughs> things not, they actually yeah, see. Dance, but yeah, dude, not the what if, what if, what if, you know. There's a million, uh, you know, types of accidents you could think of, like right along the line of um, the, you know, the final destination type of accidents. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, they're just not going to spend their time learning how to deal with, right? And unfortunately, snake bite's kind of that thing. Now, that's why um, we highly promote. And anytime we talk to people at shows, um, I I do stuff like this, uh, any TV appearances, magazine stuff, any of those things, I always like to point out, if you are going to keep venomous animals, legally or illegally or whatever, that's that's your deal. I think it's stupid if you do it illegally. Um, A lot of times it's stupid if you do it legally just because there's no need for it. You're just asking for trouble. However, um, you know, I, I always recommend to people have a plan, man. And just having a title, you know, you got to have a list. you got to have a doctor. Call the doctor ahead. Say, mm-hmm. hey, I live here. Um, if you can, if you do it legally, I would highly recommend this. Call the doctor. Say, hey, I, I live in this area. Um, should I have an accident? I do a lot of hiking. Should I have an accident? Whatever. Um you know, I, I wanted to see, let you know that I may come in and, and this is my name. This is what I do. Like, call call your local doctor. Give him a heads up, man. Let's say he doesn't remember you. Whatever. At least you tried. More importantly, get a hold of the poison control, whoever. Um, you know, and make sure that they know their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I highly recommend that. Have a snake bite doctor. If you don't have one now, make friends with one. Find one on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Make friends with that person. You know, I have I have multiple snake bite doctors that if anything were to happen to me, they're they're in my phone on my ICE in case of emergency. Um, there's ICE snake bite next to three of the world leading snake bite doctors <laughs> in the world that I have in my phone. Um, so that when the doctors or anybody goes through that, if I'm unconscious, they call those people and say, hey, this is what's going on. Now, hopefully that never happens. Right. Yeah. But you have to have that sort of a plan, man, because poison control doesn't always know. Um, you know, the doctors definitely aren't going to know, uh, even if like what happened with this kid who, you know, he recovered, um, he has some, some permanent damage, but he recovered, he lived. Um, but it was still a super unfortunate accident. And even with everything he tried to do, right. Um, still some, some accidents happened. And part of it was, uh, on 
you know, poison control, fault, whatever. Um, part of it was going in and saying that it was a Cobra, but not what kind. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, it had even had he done that, um, and this stuff happens all the time, by the way. I'm not trying to blast him or anybody else in particular, right? This stuff happens all the time. We get these stories a lot. Um, that was just the one that came to mind because it was relevant to, to all of these things at once. Um, but have a plan, man. What, what, what these guys that keep these venomous animals, whether they're native or not, what they don't realize is, you know, if the, if the hospital doesn't have crow fab, which most of them don't stock, by the way, they have to get it from somewhere. Now, the world's largest antivenom bank is Miami-Dade Venom 1. So most of the time, if last ditch, it comes out of Miami. That's the world's largest antivenom bank. But, and certainly the biggest in the United States for sure. But um, as far as diversity, right? There's other ones, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But uh, like Loma Linda, um, I don't even know if they're doing as much anymore because Sean Bush isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. He's up there with you guys now, actually. Um, um, but, you know, with Sean Bush, he, he put together a really nice one there. There's a few hospitals that are actually pretty good about it. But most of them are not. Most of them aren't going to carry Crofab. They wouldn't even know what it was or how to administer it. That's the other thing. They don't know that you have to mix with saline, that you have to do so many shakes for so long at room temperature, um, how, how to do the drip, for how long to do the drip, that the starter dose for Crofab is, you know, four to six vials. And the starter dose for Biaclone is 10 to 12. Um, you know, most, most of them don't know that stuff. So the, usually what they'll end up doing is they'll either call like the Venom Labs, um, like one of the six of us Venom Labs, mm -hmm. or they'll call local zoos are usually the first place they call. <clears throat> Keep in mind now, it's on the zoo. If the zoo has it in stock and you need 10 vials and they have 10 vials on the shelf, it's up to their discretion if they want to yeah, give it to you or not. Yeah. And that goes back to and the to the thinking past yourself thing, because you know I'm yeah. sure you're about to say like that's going to put the keepers then at risk, and they either can't yeah, work with those who, animals or they 100%. Just to, they're not allowed yeah. to work with those animals. They cannot open that cage to even feed or do waters without antivenom on the shelf. It's AZA protocol, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they they still might, but that's that's generally the AZA protocol in most zoos. Um, so yeah, dude, they can't work with the animals if they don't have the antivenom on the shelf. So also, guess who has to replace that? It's on the person who was bit. It's on them and their pay-it-back mindset. It's up to their discretion if they pay the zoo back for the antivenom they use or not. There's no rules, laws, or regulations that they have to pay the zoo back. I'm sure 99% no of them don't. No, dude, not at all, because all they care about is themselves generally, you know, mm -hmm. particularly the guys that we were speaking to at this time. Yeah. Um, now, it's not to say that they would never get paid back, but, and it's, you know what, usually from what I know about most of the zookeepers, I, know, I work with a lot of zoos around the country. Um, our hooks are in over 25 zoos just in the U.S. Um, so we work with zookeepers all over the place. Um, but, you know, most of them are going to be like, yeah, of course we would do it, like for human life, whatever, and we'll just have to reallocate funds and maybe get a few less reptile lights at the end of the year than we normally would on our upstock and re restock that antivenom or whatever. Um, most of them aren't going to let a human die because they want to keep stuff on the shelves for it just in case. Right. I haven't had a snake bite in their zoo for a long time. So generally speaking, they, they will go ahead and do it. But you can imagine how many people actually pay the zoo back for that. Um, yeah. That never happens. Or the fact that insurance, dude, snake bites not covered under insurance. I don't care how good insurance you have or, or what you do for a living. Yeah. Insurance isn't going to cover snake bites. They're going to hear because, what you were doing and say, hell no, we ain't paying for it. Well, even then, dude, you can be you can be the guy that's just walking through the woods doing whatever. But snake bite, because it's it's just one of those things that never really happens. Like, there's mm -hmm. no policies for it. 
and your general insurance may or may not help pay for part of it, but usually insurance won't cover any snake bite stuff. Most insurances in the United States won't because the way most insurances look at it is like, dude, people don't get bit unless you're being an asshole. Like unless you're doing something to ask for it, yeah. generally speaking, yeah. you don't get bit. So you're on your own. And most people don't realize that. I'll say insurance covered a lot of mine. That's good. I, 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 I hearing that, I guess I got super lucky. And I'm not <laughs> saying covered, I'm not saying I'm just insurance saying most, covered yeah. about ninety eight percent of what I owed. That's good, man. That's that's huge. So, that's yeah. huge. And and again, you know, it, it's it's on an insurance by insurance type of thing, right? Right. But generally speaking, if you just go get like a blanket low cost insurance, which is what most people have right now, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, whatever, like any of that stuff, like. Um, a, a lot of times these things aren't going to be covered or right, if sure. they are, it's certainly not going to be all of it. But even then, man, you're talking, all right, let's say they pay 70, 80%, you know, of your, of, of your snake bite. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dude, you're still, you're still <laughs> tens of thousands out of pocket, man. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's just wages. one of those things, man. Yeah. There's just a lot, there's just a lot to be said for that. Mm. So, you know, and I, and I love, I love the venomous stuff, man. And I, I don't, I'm not going to say that people shouldn't keep venomous. Um, you know, I think that there should be. Here's the problem, man. I would like to see every state have something similar to Florida where you have to do a certain amount of hours. You have to Agreed. do a thousand hours. Oh my God. Um, say, think, it say it louder. Yeah, but here's here's the problem I have with that, man. It's kinda like it goes back to the whole constitution, right? I think the constitution is way out of date too. Unfortunately, there's not one person on the planet Earth, myself included, that I trust enough to rewrite it. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> because it's impossible to do without bias. Yep. So it's just is the way that it is. We got to make what make what we can, you know, because a lot of it is outdated, man. But it is what it is. That's what amendments are for. But that being said, it's kind of the same thing with this, man. There's it. How can we do that to where it's regulated, but the state or the parks and wildlife or the any state or local or federal government doesn't oversee it? Like, how can we how can we do that, right? Yeah, it's a fine line. Um, yeah, dude, and it's just one of those things where like. I want it to be regulated, but I don't trust anybody to regulate. Yeah, I don't, I've always said that the <laughs> yeah. way the way Florida has things set up is always it's it's more or less, in my my opinion, to protect the people that are keeping venomous the way they're supposed to be. Absolutely. So that way, if man. someone gets bit and they don't have all that stuff, they can go, okay, look, this asshole wasn't with them, so we know, like, we're not going to punish all of you because you did all, you know, you did your time, you did all the things you're supposed to do. This guy was, yeah. you know, cowboying up and wanted to do something stupid so and, and listen I'm, I'm not going to say that anywhere any states that do have licensing like that or, or whatever even if all of them had it that there wasn't still going to be people that are out there illegally keeping animals yeah, keeping things that aren't legal in that state that are even black market animals whatever like that aren't even legal to have period um you know there's still going to be people out that go out there and do that man they're going to get black market animals they're going to keep stuff whether they have a license or not and that's always going to happen but with or without this stuff it's still going to happen so if we can get 80% of the people or 60%, dude, if we could get 20 or 30% of the people that want to keep venomous, that want to be responsible, that are willing to pay to go out there and get trained and, uh, you know, by somebody like me who does the hook training, who yeah. manufactures the product, who works with these things, who has worked in labs, who has worked in zoos, who knows the pharmaceutical side, who knows the medical side, like who can talk them through all of this stuff. To have somebody like that go out and do these sorts of trainings and, and give them some sort of a nationally recognized certificate that can't be overseen by anybody um, but exists, at least they're showing uh, that they care. They yeah. want to yeah. be responsible, right? Definitely. It's like it's like, 
it's like concealed carry or gun permits, exactly. right? Exactly. That's a parallel. That are, yeah, that I, 100%. I make a lot with that. You know, there's, there's people out there, people out there that do stupid things with guns. Mm-hmm. They're going to hurt themselves and or somebody else. Venomous snakes are no different. There's people out there who can legally keep guns and are responsible about it. Um, and there's people out there with venomous snakes who keep them legally and are responsible about it. And then there's other assholes on their side that aren't and won't and don't. And that's going to be true no matter what happens. That being said, there's a lot of people out there who want to keep responsibly, who want to be responsible keepers who say, I've always wanted to keep venomous snakes, but until somebody like you trains me how, I'm not even going to go buy one, mm-hmm. even though I could have last week at a, a reptile show in Texas, you could have bought an eighth Theris off the table for $100 with nothing more than yeah. a driver's license. Yep. Right. And, and that's a, that's a real thing. Um, yeah, that's how it is here. So, you know, and, and there's something to be said for that, but at the same time, it, you know, it's hard to argue with the other side where it's like, Cho, you want to go do stupid stuff? Yeah. Don't call me crying when stupid stuff happens. Yeah. Right. Like, bro, you made that decision. Live with it. And that's kind that's of mentality, the hard right? Part of it. Yeah. The hard... her Darwinism, whatever you want to call it. Like, like, you know, how much do we want to regulate it? I want people to, to be smart about it. And, and I want people, it's safer for the people and the animals to, to work with them responsibly and have them legally and do what you can. But like me, dude, I, I work with Venom Labs all over the country. I work with the, the largest international nonprofit in the world working on snake bite with the World Health Organization. I work with the top snake bite doctors in the world. I collect for Venom Labs. I set up zoos and museums with venomous stuff. I sell the hooks. I do training for the military. And I have the state telling me I can't keep a rattlesnake in my house. Like I'm, I'm probably <laughs> arguably one of the more qualified people to do that. And yet I can't do it legally. Mm-hmm. And that's where the frustration for me comes in. Um, not that I need one right now, right? Yeah. But I, I, w- I would like to have them. Man. I think they're beautiful animals. Well, that's the hard part Um, is like with the venomous stuff, especially it's to people outside of the hobby, you can't really justify it in any way that would make sense to them. So it's already an uphill battle. Like you tell anyone in some sort of government, you're just a guy that, you know, maybe you work at, I don't know, Walmart, you're a manager of Walmart or something and you want to keep venomous and you, you could be a guy who knows, you know, atheris or whatever inside and out. Like, you know, everything you could possibly know about that genus, whatever. And you could probably keep them better than most zoos could. But in the eyes of the government or anyone else outside of the hobby, they're going to be like, you, where's your qualification? You don't have a, you know, some sort of document that says you're this guy. You know what I mean? It's just, it's hard to justify it when people don't get it. Right. Well, yeah, of course, man. No, I, I think that that's, that's 100% true. And, and, and just so you guys know, man, um, the reason I brought up that other stuff about doing this national certification, whatever thing, that's one of my big pushes actually this year. Um, I started it about a year ago, so I'm not worried about somebody else trying to steal the idea and go forward. Because mm-hmm. everybody who would have to be included in having that happen on a national level and be recognized is already on my team. So I'm not worried about somebody stealing the idea because it would be impossible for them to replicate it. the way I'm doing it without me, right? Or my people. So I I have a huge team working on it right now um, to where actually hopefully by the end of the year, I actually want to have something like that where I don't care if the state recognizes it or not at first. But if I can take with the guys in Florida who do their venomous trainings in Florida, right? Miami-Dade Venom 1 is going to be working with me on developing this training. Of the six Venom labs in the country that really do Venom, the four Venom labs that uh, do anti-Venom in this country, 
I have three, um, three of those top labs in the U.S. working with me on this project. Um, and I do intend by the end of 2020 to bring forward – dude, I, my buddy – who is actually the director of sales for Venom Life Darts. I don't know if you guys knew that VLG. We have a dart team, mm. national dart team with 10 national players on it right now. Um, we have Venom Life Darts uh, on our website. And my buddy who runs that is actually the director of sales for CSA, certified um, something, something associate. I don't know. He's only been my friend for a really long time. I don't know what he does for a living. But basically, <laughs> I don't know where he works. I know what he does for a living. Basically, what he does is he does national certification programs and then re-ups people on their research, however often they have to be re-upsed. So that's what he does for a living, bro, at one of the biggest places in the world that does that. So he's on my team of helping mm-hmm. make this happen. So I'm actually looking forward to this. is, again, another THP frontline feature man nobody else has got this man you guys got it here first but I, by the end of 2020 i'm in, i'm intending on doing that so um once it's up keep an eye out like in the next month or whatever hopefully i'll have something up to where by the end of july is what i'm hoping so when we do the july issue in the magazine uh hopefully i can get some some information for that but what i what i want to do is is let your listeners know that you know by by you know following whatever keeping in touch and then when it launches dude i'll come back on and we can talk about that too for a Definitely. much shorter episode um, but I, I'm looking to do that. And what my intention is, is, you know, most of the certifications out there weren't certifications at one time. And now they're nationally recognized, nationally certified. There's entire college classes built around some of the certifications that are out there now that at one time weren't certifications. So my plan is to not go through any of the governments, not go through any states, not go through the Department of Wildlife, basically do a national certification, put it into effect in enough places where they don't have a choice but to recognize it. Because if 37,000 people around the country have been certified in this mm-hmm. and are deemed qualified by one of the top qualified, some of the top qualified professionals in the world at something along these lines, they're not going to have a choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And if we do it that way, my intention uh, was very, very purposeful in doing it that way. I've been working on it for about three years for the idea. Um, and doing it that way, they don't have control. They just have to go along with whatever the certification says. And if, if enough of us get the certification that I'm going to be putting out on a national level and enough places that are deemed reputable with credentials go along with it, like most of the zoos, like most of the states I mentioned earlier with yeah. Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Game of Fish. Mm-hmm. We get U.S. Fish and Wildlife. A lot of the guys at the military bases who who've done the training that I helped put together in 2015, 16. Um, if we get enough of them backing it, dude, they're not going to have a choice. And now what we can have is we can have something where even if anybody can still go up to a table at a show down the street from your house and buy an atheris at 19 years old off the table with the $100 cash, even if they could still do that, we're not going to stop them from doing that anyway. But what we do open up is a whole new generation of responsible keepers who now have a reason to have a voice against the free handling Mm -hmm. uh, people out there, the bad PR that they're getting because they spent a lot of money getting their certification. They spent a lot of time getting their hours. They spent a lot of, you know, they've put a lot into doing it the right way. So, we force the people who don't want to do it responsibly into a situation where 
they can do that and that's their prerogative. But if they're looked down upon for wanting to be the rebel, then, you know, it's like I tell my daughter all the time, dude, I told you I had an eight, my daughter's about to be 18 this year. Mm-hmm. Tell my daughter all the time, man. If you don't ever want to be embarrassed, it's super easy. Just don't do embarrassing shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a closed mouth gathers no foot. Hundred percent, man. Like I tell my daughter all the time, if you don't ever want to be embarrassed, don't do embarrassing shit. It's that simple. If you never do something that's embarrassing, you'll never be embarrassed in your life. Do you? So, go go ahead. ahead, Go ahead. I was gonna ask, do you do you think the thousand hours per family is excessive as far as the Florida laws go? Um, I think it depends on if you want to to uh, keep mainly that by periods or lapids i think that it's super cool to be able to do it um that way because like colubrids like if you want to keep boiga you have to do a thousand out like what are you going to learn in a a thousand hours with boiga that you can't learn in a day or two um yeah that's true i i think that i think that a thousand hours i think it depends on levels man i think that there needs to be like packages Mm -hmm. most like a tiered system um, where, you know, you're a, you're a level three, level two, level one cert type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because, you know, like on one hand you can't have, you know, zookeepers and whatever else. Um, and zoos, by the way, they don't, they don't have any sort of national standard either. Every zoo kind of does their own training or not training at all mm-hmm. based on their zoo. There's zoos out there that have venomous snake guys that come in that don't train them at all. They're like, you know how to work with these things? They're like, yep. They're like, cool. They're yours. Like there is no training set up, right? Um, and and that's up to each zoo. So to have – but at the same time, I'm not trying to force anybody to do this either. I'm not going to say that the zoos have to have this or do this program or whatever, right? Right. I think the 1,000 hours is, is good. Um, I think that you learn you – can, you can spend three, four days with rattlesnakes and know how to handle rattlesnakes pretty well. But until you've done – a lot of hours with a lot of different, even of the same yeah, species. Yeah. And that's guess, when you start to really learn like the temperament, right. what to expect. Cause I know walking up to a Mojave, what to expect versus walking up to a, a twin spot, what to expect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that that, that just comes with time and practice. Uh, again, none of this is mandatory for anyone, right? So if you're willing to pay, I think you should be able to choose how much you learn. Um, but I want the certificate to reflect that. I want to be like, Hey, this guy was kind of lazy about it. So he did, he did the short mm-hmm. version. So, and I wanted to reflect that. Yeah. And that's the thing. And it's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you know, that's up to the people, right? If you're going to spend your money and your time, you don't have to do this at all. So if you want to go through my program and you want to get trained and you want to do whatever, great, more power to you. We want to see that happen. Let us help you be responsible for your sake and the animals and to help our industry, man. we got a, we got a big black eye because, People go out and do a bunch of dumb shit, and then we all look like idiots for it. Yeah. And it's super frustrating, man, because people keep doing dumb stuff like that. Um, I can't keep venomous in my house mm-hmm. because people are idiots. So I want to kind of help help figure that out. So back to your original question with the 1,000 hours. Um, you know, it's tough because if you're not going to be working with cobras to do 1,000 hours with that type of a lapid, mm-hmm. could be excessive. On the other hand, you know, when you go do your driving test and get your driver's license, right? Would you prefer that people were able to get a driver's license and then be able to drive a semi truck, a motorcycle, a stick shift, or an automatic? Like, what did you what did you train on? What did you learn how to drive? 
Yeah. And I think that that's why it's super important because there's a reason we don't let anybody with a driver's license ride motorcycles. And there's a reason you have to get a certain stamp or certification or license to be able to drive a 55 foot truck versus a school bus. Yeah, this is the colubrid thing is just kind of goofy to me because it's like, I mean, with the bigger families, I understand. Like, yeah, there's a lot of variation between species and stuff like that in terms of size, temperament, all that good stuff. But it's like, realistically, colubrids that are venomous, like, how many people are keeping boom slangs? How many people are actually keeping thelatornis? You know, it's just, it's kind of like, whoa. Like, a thousand hours just seems a lot. I mean, right, I, but, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a tough, tough call, I guess. But you look at like, uh, you know, cat-eyed snakes or, or mangrove snakes or the mangroves, you know. I had a friend who just got a mangrove not that long ago and, and uh, legally, you know, mm-hmm. um, purchased yeah. it with a permit in the state and everything else. And they got it and, and they were holding it. And I'm like, I get it. It's a colubrid. Um, and they're like, yeah, but we did a bunch of research and nobody's ever died from, you know, colubrid bite, whatever. Like nobody loses their arm from a colubrid mm-hmm. bite. Like it's not a big deal. And I'm like, I get it. You also need to remember that 150, 200 people die from bee stings every year, and they don't take your right. arm either. I mean, I keep right. Oida right now, and I don't, I don't handle mine. I have a hook anytime I do anything with mine, and they're not even full-grown adults yet. But I've seen right. enough so, bites from even smaller ones that were pretty gnarly toward the point where I'm like, I'm not even going to chance that. Right, yeah, and that's just smart, man. Dude, I, I do that with all kinds of snakes, man. I mean, it's just, it's just good practice, you know? Like, why? first of all, why would you want to put yourself in that situation, first of all? Yeah. You know, and, and my other big thing, too, is, like, you know, a lot of the retic guys, like, a lot of the shows, we have these Python hooks on the Get Hooks website, Venom Life website. Mm-hmm. You know, we got some nice big old Python hooks, drag hooks, whatever, and these retic guys are like, oh, dude, I do 20-foot retics. They bite me all the time, but, you know, they're, like, real manly men. Um, trying to be cool guys. And I'm like, bro, like, I don't give a shit how tough you are. I like your muscles. That snake doesn't give a shit how tough you are. Like, the reality is, do you have any idea how bad it is? Dude, that snake can get yeah. more infections from losing three teeth in your skin, or you have way more germs on your forearm than it does in its mouth. I guarantee it. But it is way more dangerous for the snake. I got bit by a 12-foot green-faced Burmese python um, on my hand a long time ago, man. And, uh, and that thing died like two weeks later. I don't know Jeez. if I, I heard it taking it off. I had to rip it off. I don't know if I heard it taking it off. or but I had five teeth left in my hand, three of which had to be surgically removed. Jeez. No um, I didn't know that until I had a Mickey Mouse hand like seven days later, right? So, um, <laughs> but did it, I mean, the, 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 stuff, the stuff that you could give from, uh, you know, the snakes is not as bad as what you can give mm-hmm. to the snakes, man. It's not good practice for you or your snakes, man. Not to mention the amount of stress. If your snakes never strike, never, that's because they're scared. Like, why would you? If you're a lover of these animals, they're your friends in nature, assets in your business, and you truly love these animals and you respect these animals in nature or in business as assets or friends or whatever, like why would you treat them that way, right? Like, like you wouldn't you wouldn't go around laughing when your pit bull put you all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how, how is this different? Yep. Um, I mean, the first thing you know, I learned with boiga is, is they don't like to be fucked with. No. With mine, I don't no, no, I don't bother mine. I know they freak out. It stresses them out. You know, it's like, I just, if you know they don't enjoy it, just leave it be. Yeah, but why would you purposefully yeah. stress out your animal, man? Like, on the venom right. lines, dude, we do the same thing. Like, we know, we know that we can only milk certain species every so often, or they're probably going to die because it stresses them out. And so if we know a snake is stressed, so we can see that it's stressed before we even get it out of the rack, we skip it. Like, there's no, no, you know... We, we'll do a different animal or we'll wait till next week. 
um, we don't need that venom right this second, right? We're always trying to pre-stock or, or we can wait another few days and try again. It's not going to be the end of the world and it's not mm -hmm. worth it for the animal. And like we love and care for our animals and all the venom labs that I work in and around and for. And um, that's kind of like a more of a freelance venom lab guy now working with more than one venom lab now. Um, you know, I see that more and more often and, and I highly respect that. But when people think it's funny to stress out their animals or whatever, like I just, I just don't understand that, you know? And, and um, I think that, I think that when people do that because they, they care more what, about what everybody else thinks of them than actually caring about their animals right. or what, Something what's positive. Moral what, compass is a miss. Yeah, dude, because they could be a positive, valuable um, force in our industry, in herpeticulture. And, and they're actively choosing not to out of narcissism. And that's, I think, what pisses me off. It's wasted potential. Mm -hmm. Well, potential is always just potential unless you use it, right? True. So um, it can't be anything else but potential. And once, it be once you use it for something, it's no longer potential, right? So it can always only be potential. And so you're absolutely right, man. It is wasted potential because like, like you guys, you guys have in this podcast, right? Um, it may not seem like a lot at times or, or at the beginning or whatever, but I think what you guys are doing is awesome, man. You're allowing guys like me to come on and talk to people I couldn't reach any other way and, and to kind of tell my story and, and be able to say these things, man. We've, we've gone from – look at where we've gone, dude. We've talked about schools and universities to kids to, to why you know, people's moral compasses and what people mm -hmm. are doing wrong to actually educating people on how anti-venom works, what you should do to prepare to talking about, you know, licensing and, and uh, national certification for keeping venomous to stressing out your animals. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff on this podcast. Dude. I don't know how long these are supposed to be. We're at two, two hours now. And uh, did I could do another two or three? Uh, I don't intend to, but I could. <laughs> but I could talk about this stuff with you guys forever, man. So yeah. for you guys to have this platform and this medium to get this stuff out to other people is huge, man. And I, I love and respect what you guys are doing. Um, I'm super grateful for that and the opportunity. I'm very appreciative that, you know, I was even be able to brought on as a guest, let alone be able to just kind of ramble about all my own shit. Um, but, you know, listen, this is me. And, you know, being a face in this industry, a recognized face, and, and I don't even want to say like kind of an authority in this per se. Um, but when I speak about stuff, people tend to listen. And, and, and for me not to use that responsibly, mm -hmm. I, I think... I think that's that's silly, foolish, and reckless. Agreed. And so, sure. so that's kind of the message uh, that I try to put out in in everything that I do. Right? People listen because you say it with such conviction. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's because I'm super <laughs> passionate. I mean, I'm super passionate about everything that I do. But that goes back to I do what I love every day mm -hmm. um, and try to be the best at it. And and for that, I you know I get a I get to wake up. And enjoy what I do every day. Yeah, yeah, of course, dude. There's stressful days. There's there's days I'm still behind on bills. Like I'm not gonna pretend like it's this glorious life and I got it all made and figured out, dude. I certainly don't. Um, ask anybody who really knows me. They'll they'll tell you I got it less figured out than most people. But I do what I love, man. And uh, and I feel like I get to make a lasting difference in in people's lives. I get to make a lasting difference for our our friends in nature and, and in captivity. Um, and through the Snake Bite Foundation and the other nonprofit stuff that I do, um, be able to to give a lasting a lasting difference to to people on the world that I will probably never meet, and I'm okay with that. Um, and I think that 
that type of mentality is, is why, you know, when I say certain things where I get on and do podcasts or talks or whatever that, you know, people tend to tune in, they tend to listen, they, they tend to take it to heart because, um, yeah, because I'm, well, mainly because, because I'm not an idiot. That does help. You know yeah. what I mean? That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that takes fair, you pretty I, far on its own. To be fair, I just said that about myself, and I'm fairly certain I'm the only person that's ever said that about me. But, <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, it's just, I don't know. I just, I just, I would like to see people just be more responsible um, about their animals. In, in this industry in general, and particularly in and around the venomous stuff, mm-hmm. um, because you know there's there's something beautiful and fascinating about herps in general, but primarily the venomous ones, which draws me to them so much more than every other animal that I've ever worked with or could work with. And I think that a lot of us have that fascination for snakes and stuff in general. It usually hits us when we're kids. We all have a story about when we were five years old catching frogs at the pond or putting snakes in our pocket, taking them to the dinner table. And we all have the same story, man. You put, you put 300 herpetologists in a room and I guarantee you get 350 yeah, stories. Isn't that, isn't that and eerie? they all start the same way. Yeah, dude. It's, it's crazy, like the man. Venom interviews. If you watch the Venom interviews, like every intro to every person that Ray interviewed. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's the same Ray, story. You know, you know, you know Ray's, Ray's on the Snakebite Foundation with us. I did not. Ray's one of our, yeah, Ray's one of our team members on the Snakebite Foundation. So when I say we got the top guys on this foundation, man, we're, it's no, it's no joke, dude. <laughs> I love seeing his but, Facebook yeah. posts of all the stuff he finds in his house or in his yard. Well, yeah, so he's gone now. Um, we just missed him at the beginning of March at Venom Week, mm-hmm. which was in Gainesville this year. We missed him this year because he was busy moving from Costa Rica to Prague. Really? <laughs> yeah, dude. I, didn't I was know like. That. Oh, I said, Ray, out of all the places you've right. visited, all the places in the world you could choose to live, you chose Prague. I mean, there must be a reason, but. It's like the Seattle of Europe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah dude, I don't, I don't know about Prague. I mean, I've never been there. I'm sure it has its perks, but, dude, to go from, like, living in the cloud forest on a right. lake in the Costa Rica. The most ecologically <laughs> diverse place in the world. Yeah, dude, and he had, like, uh. Yeah, like a bunch of property around a lake in the cloud forest, and it was like the same temperature, same rain every day, 20, 24, uh, 24-7, man. Like, Jeez. Ah, dude, he just lived in this amazing place. Yeah. And like you said, he had all these crazy animals in his house. <laughs> it's and, always like, oh, here's another species of coral snake you've never heard yeah, of. Yeah, dude, he's, he's in Prague <laughs> now, man. So I'm like, well, there you go. Uh, Found another Bothrops under the dryer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now he's going to be dealing with like uh, Miller, Miller moths and Norway rats. Yeah. Dude, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, the Venom interviews was fascinating, man. And I'm so glad when he put that together and, and launched that. I mean, it took him Get years, Hooked, man. It was awesome. Yeah, dude. It took him a long time. Get Hooked. Yeah, Get Hooked actually sold. We bought like 100 copies and sold them on the website for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a copy right yeah, somewhere. He, he killed it, man. He killed it. Such an amazing thing. You should watch it again. You should. I think everybody should watch it. If any of you guys haven't seen the Venom interviews, man, like uh, anybody listening, uh, go check out Ray Morgan, man. He's one of my so one of my was, good friends. He was streaming it for free with all this quarantine stuff. I don't know if he still is or not, but it was free on the website to watch. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Even then, man, it's um, 
just go to go to the Venom interviews on Facebook, man, and just mm-hmm. the stuff that gets posted in there is he super educational. Awesome like, yeah. and not just him, man. A lot of the other guys, like I've posted in there a few times. Mike Clarkson posts in there sometimes. Um, another good friend of mine, Lynn uh, Leslie Boyer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they there's always people. I've wanted to get Leslie Boyer on for a Boyer. long time. I just never was sure if she'd actually do it. Um, she's been on the list, I mean, but I know that she's she's probably busy, and it's probably a lot of stuff that's probably above our heads. But she seems like a personality type that would be good for it. Dude, she is, man, she is a trip, dude. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of hanging out with her on quite a few occasions, and uh, you know, she too is on the Snake Bite Foundation, and I don't know if you guys knew that, <laughs> but she too is on our foundation. Um, and she, man, she is just. When she speaks, man, it's like you can't help but pay attention, bro. Like, yeah, she even even if you only understand like a third of the words she spits out, <clears throat> it's just you you have no option but to be enthralled mm-hmm. in conversation with her. Like, it is incredible, man. When she she just commands attention um, and can control entire rooms of people just by speaking, man. It's incredible. Um, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind, you know reaching out real quick in, uh, in, in the near future and seeing if she'd be interested. I, I could drop a little, little hint to her and see what she thinks. That'd be cool. I yeah, wouldn't man. complain. I wouldn't say no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, a, that's the thing too, man, is like, you know, my network, right? So um, part of my, what I would quote unquote successes or whatever with my reputation and my credibility and, and the entire industry and everything that I do, um, a lot of that is just because of, of these people that I, I surround myself with. Right. Um, and when I, I get the pleasure of hanging out with all the venom lab guys, um, you know, working with guys on national geographic, I'm, you know, working with Mike Clarkson. Yeah. Mike's um, been on the show. Jake wasn't, Jake wasn't here for that one, but Mike's been on the show. Oh, yeah, dude. And I, I love, I love Mike Clarkson, man. He's, he and I are working on a project right now, which I can't really talk about too much, but I think we're I know working on a together. Um, yeah, so we're working on a project together, which is super cool. And, um, we're going to have some cool stuff from, from Get Hooked and Venom Life coming out with him soon too. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, dude, when you, I mean, when you start hanging out with the, the top authorities in the world in any industry, uh, you, you know, your cre- credibility goes up pretty high. Um, but I value that, man. You know, I've turned down quite a few TV shows. I'm not going to name any specifically, but I've turned out three TV shows in three years specifically because I didn't my values and morals and, and you know, it didn't line up. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to do any of this crazy sensational, whatever stuff and, and put out any of that because I spent a long time doing multiple businesses, multiple people around the world through my foundation, the snake bite foundation. You know, I have a lot of people counting on me to do a good job at what I do. A lot of people are counting on me to do that. Um, not just my family, you know, to do good in business, but a lot of people. So, and, and all of these other people too, right? If I'm tied to all of them, their reputation is partially tied to mine too. So I can't afford to be an idiot. Yeah, I mean, and you so think I you're filming something educational and then it turns into Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, dude, and I, I just, I can't afford that, man. I'm like, you know, at, to that point, um, I said, you know, there's there's no amount of money I could be offered that's going to make me give up my entire reputation and all of my business credibility that I've, I've spent so long to create. No amount of money is, is worth it in the world for me. Um, and I think that's kind of what kind of helps sets me apart yep. from yep. some people in the industry and why I am 
and I hate to say it this way, man, because I don't want to sound cocky, but you know why why I am respected um, throughout the industry. And, uh, and I think that that's why, because I have those values, I have those morals, and I stick by them. That is what's funny sure. about Mike, man, is like, he posted about it the other day, you know, like, his, his, all the stuff that he's been able to do was all from, you know, the TV show about his, his stiletto bite. And it's crazy, because yeah. no, I don't think, you know, he, he said himself, you know, he, he never would have thought that anything would have ever come from that. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's a cool dude. I liked having him on. I want to have him on again at some point. Oh yeah, dude, he's great. Well, I, I'll tell you what, man. When uh, we have a couple of things coming up together, Mike and I do. So um, maybe when when one of those next two things we're currently working on together pop off, uh, maybe we'll jump back on and, and do do one together, man. Yes. That'd be a blast. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You guys, yeah. if you guys ever want to do a comedy special, uh, <laughs> put, me or, put me and Ryan on here together, or better yet, uh, you want to do a serious, real serious real funny one of the real experts on on this kind of topic from the medical side give me and ben abo on here together yeah i've i have a friend who's an emt locally here and she knows him and uh i know she i was, I was just at his house a couple weeks ago down in naples man and uh when he and i get together it's it's ridiculous like the off-the-cuff jokes are crazy but ryan and i <laughs> man when ryan and i are in the same room it's uh yeah, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, but nobody will leave that room the same, I can assure you. <laughs> I want to get Jeff Fobb on, too, and I just want to hear stories of, like, the crazy calls they've been to. So, yeah, Bob, I don't want to speak for him. He probably won't do it. Um, after the the 13 seasons on Animal Planet, uh, he despises TV and media. Um, <laughs> so I, don't, I can't podcast. say I blame him. I probably would, too. Um just talked to him last week too when I was in Florida and I, I'm not just trying to consistently name drop, but everybody you're bringing up, I was either just, just talking to or talking about or talking with, or I just saw, but yeah, Jeff, Jeff's a good friend of mine. He's actually, uh, he's actually going to be working with me on the, the project to do the, um, the national credit uh, accreditation. And he's the one that does it now. He's currently one of the top guys that does the, um, thousand hours of, of each family in Florida for the, uh, the Florida venom license. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least he was for a long time. He had over 187 venomous snakes from around the world when he did the trainings. Uh, he got rid of most of them a couple of years ago. Um, and it's kind of making, as he gets ready, closer to retirement, um, which will be happening in the next couple of years. He, uh, he, he's kind of downsized over the last couple of years so that he can not be yeah. in home. I saw he was at Carpet Fest too for a little bit. I think I, I didn't really talk to him. I said hi, but that was about it. All right. Yeah. Dude, again, like that that dude is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, man. Whenever we hang out, we've 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 hung out at M Toxins before together. We hang out at uh you know every time we're together in Miami or Venom Week or the when he made out to the Houston Venom Conference. Mm-hmm. We actually met in twenty fourteen at Biology of the uh Biology of the Pit Vipers. Biology of the Rattlesnakes? Yeah. Biology of the Rattlesnakes mm-hmm. too. Biology of the Pit Vipers too. Sorry, that's what it was. Biology of the Rattlesnakes was before. Anyways, um two thousand fourteen. Biology of the Pit Vipers 2 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's where we met Jeff Wop. And funny enough, the exact same night was when I met Woody, Chris Woodcock, my business partner and <laughs> dear friend over at Venom Life and Get Hooked. We met at that same conference. <laughs> it's a small world, man. The community's huge. Like, the hobby's huge, but the community feels small, like, all the time. 
It does, man. Yeah. We're, all, we're all tied together somehow. And you guys start bringing up like, oh, yeah. And Ryan, you know, I just talked to him. I was like, gosh, man, we yeah. put us on together. You know, Mike, <laughs> oh, yeah, we just talked the other day. We're working on a project together. Like, yeah. it is, man. It is. And especially when you're at, at a outside of just kind of like the breeder, um, you know, if you're just a breeder, you go to shows, breed, go to shows, breed, go mm-hmm. to shows. Probably not as much. You know, there's a different type of niche on that side that they're probably more involved in than I am. Yep. Um, I don't breed. I don't do colubrids or pythons or any big snakes for that matter um but on the venomous side man like it's there's not a lot of us right right people are like why why would you want to be a venom expert why would you want to be a venomous snake expert like for a living why would you want to do that i'm like well why wouldn't you yeah they're like what do you do as a venomous snake expert and i'm like well first of all i hate that title i don't like saying that um but what do i do as a venomous snake expert i said you know basically there's not a lot of work for a guy like me but when there is work around venomous snakes, the competition is slim to none. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, there is that added benefit, right? Like yeah. there's only so many people you can talk to before you find me somehow. Yeah. Um, so, so there is that. Yeah. Well, we're at two twenty, man. Yeah, this is yeah man. Dude, I, I know. I love it. Yeah. I know. I'm so sorry. Well, yeah, by the time you guys cut out half the stupid stuff I said, we'll be at 43 minutes tops. So, no oh, dude, we, we, we don't cut much at all. Yeah. If so. any, most episodes, we keep it, we keep well, it, then, we keep it raw. We keep it real. Well, then you yeah. tell all your, you tell all your, your, well, actually, no way, man. I'll tell them. Um, yeah. to every, everybody listening, all you podcast listeners and followers, man. Um, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with us for tuning at 20. Um, yeah. So here's what I want to do, because those of you who actually stuck around to the end, um, I know it was probably pretty grueling for a while. So what I want to do is, is you guys go put in the code THP10 at the Venom Life store for Venom Life or Get Hooked. I'm going to make that live as of today. So starting tomorrow on Friday, THP capital T capital H capital P 10, the number 10. Put that in, man. You guys are going to get 10% off of everything. And uh, I'm just going to leave that up for the entire month. Hell the entire yeah. month of May. Hell man. yeah, uh, man. Everybody listening, go and get that. There you go. Uh, well, I'm going to have a couple couple uh, things coming to you guys too. So you guys just private me, private message me um, right after this and let me know, um, you know, whatever you guys are the most interested in, um, whether it's a hook or a shirt. And I'll be willing to kick you guys down at least one of those and you can use the code for everything else. Cool. Um, but I want to thank you guys for your support. Thanks for letting me get – get me out there and kind of introduce myself to these people. Um, if you guys want to find me, follow me, whatever I'm maxed out on friends on Facebook. Uh, so I'm sorry, but if you go to my public figure page is Brent, the venomous Schultz on Facebook, you can go to venom life gear, um, at venom life gear. Uh, you guys will probably have all the show description links and all that stuff as well. Yep. Um, and then at Brent venomous on Instagram, um, and like I said, hit me up, message me. I'm always looking forward to talking to people about anything. As you guys who stuck around for 223, um, you guys know I could talk about anything forever. So. Well, I'm a big venomous um, guy too, so I could I could ramble for for just as long. Yeah, hundred percent, man. It's, yeah, and it, dude, like I like I said, man, it, I'm, you guys are ever just looking to fill space or whatever. We can come on and talk about anything, man. It doesn't even need to be about me and my stuff, man. I'll just come on and 
you know, dude, I'll, next time, next time Jake, Jacob's out, dude, just hit me up. I'll, I'll co-host one. But oh, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> get you on Snakes and Stogies. Yeah, man. Me and Phil do a live stream where we smoke and talk snakes. I don't know what that and... means, but that's two of my favorite things. He's, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, well Phil, <laughs> our buddy Phil Wolf, he's a big venomous guy. So I feel like if, if we had you on Snakes and Stogies, they, you, you two would probably oh, have it is that is that video? Yeah, it's a live stream we do on YouTube once or twice a oh, week. Oh, dude, I have I've been waiting for a reason to put on my smoking coat with the leather elbows for a minute. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we'll probably do one this my, weekend, so I'll hit you. Up. I got my whiskey with the sifter downstairs. I got, dude, I got it all, man. I'm ready to rock. Kid it out. <laughs> dude, nice, yeah, man. if you do it this weekend, and I'll check the weather, dude. I'll, I'll go outside, light up the fire pit, and I did. I'll hang out with the lights in the fire pit, <laughs> whatever, dude. Let's do it. I'm in. Yeah. All right. yeah, well, thank man. you guys again for having me, dude. Thank you guys so, so much for your support and and letting me come out and do this. And um, man, I'm, I'm just honored. Um, you know, you guys giving me opportunities like this is is what allows me to to touch, inspire, and help motivate people who want to be in this industry responsibly and respectfully. Um, I get to be that for somebody else because of people like you giving me the opportunity. So. Um, without, without you guys doing stuff like this and other people on these mediums, um, I'm just a dude who likes snakes. So the only reason I'm anything more than that is because of you guys. So I can't say that enough, man. Well, man, we can, we can definitely say the same thing. If it wasn't for guys like you being willing to come on the show, share your stories and your experiences, man, we wouldn't have a podcast. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely right back at you, man. We really appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for, you know, dedicating over well over two hours to, to talk to us for a while, man. It really means a lot. hundred percent, man. And I'm going to do one last quick drop. Um, like I said, uh, we've been asked for a long time to launch a YouTube channel because I do so much crazy stuff in so many different places and so many different industries. Um, so we decided we were finally going to do it in this COVID time. So, uh, Venom Life Gear, Venom Life TV, that's going to launch on YouTube probably sometime around tonight, midnight. By the time you post this, it'll be live. Our first episode will be up, but I'm going to be dropping episodes every Thursday, man, from Ooh. funny comedy stuff to travels and crazy adventures that I've been on and, and um, shows and expos and behind the scenes at Zilla and at Miami Dade Venom 1 with Bob and in the Venom Lab with Nate and all kinds of episodes, man. So well, we'll um, definitely share them around when you post them, man. Yeah, yeah man. Sure, man. So it's going to be, you know, it'll be kind of funny, kind of educational. The first one's going to be uh, episode one is cleaning your, keeping your hooks clean and, uh, and, and keeping your hooks lasting forever. Cause even though we make a little bit of money every time we sell one, we want people to keep them forever, man. That's our goal. So it's kind of more of an educational one we wanted to put out first, but um, it's going to be good content all the time. So, I wanted to push that out there real quick, let you guys know that the YouTube's finally coming. So you're all of you who've been asking, you're welcome. And thank, you know, the people that pushed us to do it, not me. Awesome. Um, and then, yeah. And then lastly, um, July, I think we're pushing for the July thing with the, the article. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Brent is going to be the industry spotlight in the July issue of the magazine. Yes. Of Herpeticulture magazine. So, and I'm going to make sure I, I put in some other stuff in there that I didn't get to tonight so that don't think that just because you guys spent two and a half hours listening to me ramble tonight that you got the full story. Cause I <laughs> He's not I, done yet, folks. I have one story about one girl from when I was 16 years old, and that one story takes three and a half hours to tell. So if you think oh, you got Jesus. the full story on what I do, you, you, we haven't even touched it, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, man. Thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I love what you guys are doing. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Everybody listening, thank you guys for, for doing what you do. Uh, we'd just be idiots talking about nothing if you guys weren't listening. So um, you guys are the third party that make all this work. So from all of us, thank you. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the flip side, man. All right, man. Yes, thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Later. Out. Bye. That might be one of my favorite episodes we've done so far, man. Yeah. Uh, 100% man that was wow he is he's something else and dude I need, I, he has to come nothing. on snakes and stogies like him and phil yeah just letting those dude, two go I, oh my god that, oh my god dude that would be insane <laughs> hey i dude i don't know how i we gotta figure out something but i, I want to get i want to get him more involved with what we do yeah I, I love i love it he's i love his energy yep Got me pumped. It's great, man. Yeah, man. It's got me pumped up, too. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, but this show would not I'm be possible without MP Cages and Exotics. And Steve Snakesuary. Venom Hot Sauces. You can go get you some Venom Life gear, and then you can head over to Steve Snakesuary and get some Venom Hot Sauce. Yes. And a and hook after... from Get Hooked, and the cycle will be complete. Well, you can't have a hook without a cage with that's right. a snake in it. So you get the trifecta. that's where you get the trifecta, man. It's 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 all good. And remember, if you're gonna go get yourself a hook, use the code THB10, get ten percent off your order. Yeah, yeah, so, awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, this was a really one fun one. Everybody, thank you for tuning in for. Yet another episode of the Herpeticulture Podcast. We have next week, Sean Wagner of MP Cages and Exotic will be returning because Jake wasn't for here for the first episode. Yes. So Jake wants a quote unquote redo. So this is the real Sean, Sean will return. Yes. And everything should be back to normal by then as far as recording goes. It should we be back on the mic next see. week. Back on so. the mic. Yes, very, very excited. But, all right, bud. All right. I'll talk to you in like five minutes. Yeah, man. All right. All right. Later, y'all. Have a good night, y'all. Peace.